0: Welcome to the podcast. There's no better feeling than getting a great deal, like a hotel room upgrade or a free car wash with every tank of gas, maybe unlimited chips and salsa with your burrito. And now, as an AT&T wireless customer, you can get an exclusive deal on a super fast internet experience with AT&T Fiber. Get consistently fast speed, even during peak times, and a great deal with AT&T Fiber. Learn more at att.com slash offer. Limited availability in select areas based on wired connection to gateway. Restrictions apply it's never been easier to get outside with academy sports and outdoors stop by your local academy store on scenic highway at janmar road in snellville or visit us online at academy.com and find everything you need for grilling camping biking backyard fun and more shop top brands like pitbull swin hydroflask pelican and the new magellan outdoors pro all at prices you'll love with in-store and curbside pickup available now and with academy's wide selection of great gear get ready to have fun out there with the whole family
1: Hello everyone and welcome back to another Archon's Corner. Uh today I got myself, Dr. Sheep, and with me I got Big Z, Hey Hey, and Ewok Jr.
2: Hello, KeyForge community.
1: And sadly, the Wookiee has real life again, so he won't be with us today. Uh, but he'll be back next week, I think.
3: All right. So I think he walks in to start us off. Ewok, you played some uh, Field Online KeyForge this week, um, and you might have sucked. So let's share with us why that might be the case.
2: Oh, I definitely, I definitely had some issues this week. Uh, we were playing DT sealed or I was playing DT sealed on um, this was on our Tuesday night chain bound and a whole bunch of decks. Uh, DT actually did hold up for me. So I know a lot of people are kind of pushing, you'll hear a little bit competitive elements from DT later, but I definitely had one of those moments. Uh, good shout out to our good friend Cloggin, and both of us were coming in. This was round number four and both decent decks were both, at two keys, pushing for that third key. And I look at my hand. I have a nice archive that's been set up with uh, quite a few unfathomable. And I also have star lines and logos. And at this point, Cloggin has pushed me to check. And I look at my hand and go, yes, I can take him off check with my logo. So I can play Edai and basically push another card into archive. And it will be just one or two above. I can go ahead and play Star Alliance, and Volmart is going to keep me above. Or I can go ahead and play my Unfathomable. And I had, uh, it was some random, what was it? It was basically a play Capture 2. If you go ahead and turn the tide, you can play Capture 2. Yeah, and I have a big archive that is well set up with my Unfathomable, and I figure the killer punch is coming right here. I'm going to go ahead and lean in with that Unfathomable, and I pull it all back. And I start playing, and I'm literally about halfway through, and I look over and go, you've got to be kidding me. I can't raise the Tide, which is the Capture 2 mechanic that I needed because it's already high Tide for me. So I played a sweet hand of probably a good eight, nine cards and clog and walked away because I couldn't take him off of the check that he had, which was just needing to be able to raise it by one. So be aware, boys and girls, that tied up. You can't just go ahead and look. I mean, I did see I had options. I had options in all three houses, two yeah. of them. I didn't even have to think about doing anything with the tide, but I went with cards. I went with that Delta, of, you know, I can play more cards. I can really gain the advantage here. Push. Honestly, all of the other houses, star Alliance, I could have taken them off check and gotten to check myself. I could have gone ahead and with logos, gone ahead and taken them off check and reaped to be able to get to check. But I just went for what should have been the big play in my head and yet, it ended up costing me. And uh, unfortunately, Cloggin was on a conference call. He had bounced out the last like minute, and he wasn't even there to harass me and to say how poor of a KeyForge player I was. But there it is, KeyForge community. This is why I suck at KeyForge this week.
3: All right. Well, we always appreciate these stories that are shared in such vein. Um, uh, what doesn't kill us makes us stronger, right? Like we just keep learning from our mistakes. Eventually, we'll stop making the mistakes, in theory. Um, that said, I know I've made some mistakes that we've talked about in the cast. Every time I, one of them catches me, and I'm like, huh, well, I guess I need to go listen to our, our own cast. Um, so, uh, to clarify, one thing you did mention, you specifically went on your way to say you were on Dark tidings for the Sealed. I know we changed our Sealed event just a little bit, not too long ago. Does it matter what set you play now? No.
2: And that was actually the great piece. Um, I was seeing quite a bit of MM, but I played World's Collide MM. I did have one round that was a buy, um, but there was quite a bit. Dan, I don't know if you remember all the sets that were there, but I have seen across the last couple of weeks, we've had people playing Coda. We've had people playing uh, World's Collide. We've had quite a bit of MM and DT. And so to see that people are really fearful of DT and how it's interacting. But... I have actually done very, very well. And this deck was not great. It was, I want to say it was a 63 um, SAS, what was rated. But being able to see potential synergies, be able to play what my outs were. Um, DT did hold its own. And um, so I, I've been very happy with that. I've, the previous week I went, I oh, was at 3-0. I think we played three rounds in on that one. And that was my DT. Now that was a little bit more of a hot deck that was in the 70s for the SAS, And that deck did have some spice. Um, But I have been pretty successful with DT against MM. Um, early on, that was not the case. But I think for me, I've started to kind of figure out. But yeah, we're definitely seeing all the sets show up, which is awesome.
1: Yeah, they're uh, in, in our online play groups. uh People who play MM get made fun of because they're sick of losing, right? Oh, you're sick of losing. So you're playing MM. But Dark Tidings is... Consistently finishing on top, um, or second at worst, even when there are multiple MM decks showing up in the field. MM I mean, at the risk
3: of angering the SASS. got it could just be the SASS isn't right well, where it needs to but be. Yet, right in
1: sealed, like now you're talking about sixty mid sixties average SASS. That's true, right? And in that realm, Dark Tidings is very consistent in delivering mid 60s SAS decks, right? So you yeah. don't get the fifties stinkers. Which is what I was thing. saying
3: early on about the eight, a- when people started doing AOA comparisons, like I played a ton of AOA sealed and it is literally the only thing, only form of key I've ever just like straight up boycotted. Like I won't do it anymore because I got so many decks. This did nothing like they didn't do anything well or fun consecutively like I, I run in strings where like i'd get deck after deck after deck that had zero a or some other huge glaring issue um but that's i what... really haven't had that experience in dt i think like I, a lot of people are picking up that a lot of them are are missing like some c or some a to be like high level competitive but i've never ran into a deck that's like just sucked at both and i've definitely ran into that in AOA. way
2: I and I think like- I think that's the PC is that you you were noticing in AoA there were multiple decks that had literally very limited one to two mm-hmm. a and, and you know it just the amber control was not there and that really had an impact here yeah DT has some issues especially with scaling amber you have s- principle you have some control but uh, overall it's not missing multiple pieces yeah. it just kind of falls this mid-tier but it doesn't end up being super competitive um but i also don't find it as bad as people are really arguing
3: it is no i don't think it is either and like, like i said i've been to a vault in AOA where i got three decks and the highest a deck i had was 2.8 out of three decks <laughs> like it's it's rough like uh like the dt mathematics like Mathematically, there's a chance to do that in any set, but it is very hard to do that in any other set than AoA, um, just based on the numbers where the where the data is showing that the cards yeah, do so different things.
1: I have definitely found a lot of lack of C. That's where I've been like consistently in dark tidings. Mm-hmm. My C is not that. There's just not enough creature control. I've I found it just to be
3: polarized as far as whether it has C. It either has. Very lacking C or a ton of it. Like,
1: it's, yeah. and I, it's, I've, I've, either got, a lot got of like things. no,
3: no good board stuff or it has Maelstrom, Gak, Selective, Mind of Matter, all of the same deck. <laughs> it's like, okay. I,
2: I will say Gak has been playing quite a It is an absolute all star card for something yeah. that uh, it was good. I saw its potential, but man, that card time and time and time again. From DT, when we're playing in ABR, where the, the opponent I had had two of them, um and, and I was able to watch out for it. But you you can only play so hard in so you know your yeah, your temperamental not, like, around
3: it. Not a lot you can do. Correct, like red alert. Like you just got to play the cards. Correct. You're either going to get gacked or not. Like well, all right. Anyway, we're out we're out of order. Some of this stuff we're going to talk about again in a second. So let's let's take a moment to do some updates. Uh, Key Forge Live is rocking and rolling But before we get into some of the updates for that Our GoFundMe has been live We advertise it a couple places again That's just supporting the people that are putting it on The event's going to happen, it's going to be great No matter wh- whether you support us or not In that endeavor financially But if you do, it will uh, Lessen the burden on, well, the three of us And, and other associates quite a bit um, But we are going to do Some shout outs. so thank you For the public Donations presented to us by Luxury Playstyle, uh, Drascor, and Julie July. Thank you for supporting all that we do on both this cast and for what we're going to do in KeyForge Live, which is to get people back at the table playing this game that we talk about every week. And we love to play. Uh, we truly do love the game. Hence, we're putting a lot of our time, resources, money, whatever we have, um, so that you all can come play KeyForge and hang out with us yeah i want
2: I want to go ahead and second that and say a huge thank you, but it also helps to inspire us because we're not only putting our own money but we're also looking at this. How can we make this extra special? How can we make it fun? Even when I met up with Wookie and Dan on Tuesday, I heard about something super cool that was you know kind of teased, and you know there was a piece that came up today as we're looking, and I'm like, well, it's an extra hundred twenty for me to be able to put this so that it's fun all right yeah. you know when you see that option, yeah, there's a price tag. I do have my wife who was over there like. <laughs> But the end result is, I, I put in there, I want this to be all my group of friends, all the people who I haven't met yet, but are still Key Forge friends, we're going to have a blast. And so we're making it special. We're making it as Vault Tour-esque as possible, but we're just having a blast and we're going ahead and putting our money. So by your donations, it does help us to go and you know feel encouraged that we're doing the right thing. We do have some really nice numbers coming out. And uh, we want to keep that going, so we appreciate all the help again from each of those individuals.
3: Uh, for sure, for sure. All right. Um. So updates. Uh, we're <laughs> as far as updates go, we have almost thirty people pre-registered. I say pre-registered. There's only one way to register right now, and that's online through our web portal. Um. So. There are 30 people that have already registered, and I think it's only really been up for a little bit around two weeks, depending on when this comes, maybe a little bit more than two weeks, um, based on when you're listening. Um, one of our biggest goals from when we first started this, we knew it wasn't going to be expensive. We, we already had secured a venue. We'd already made plans to do this, um, and we were talked about goal numbers a long time ago. And, and our biggest thing was to make sure that we hit a certain number. What number were we talking about, guys?
1: 2,000. <laughs> yes well, we do have Biggest a cap of two card events
2: no Sorry. we do have a cap of 250 at the event so again that is our dream but no our, our goal was 50 and to see 30 pre-registered in roughly two weeks guys that is mm. awesome and i know people keep like even though our numbers are still at that 30 mark we have people who have reached out like hey we're taking this amount from our crew we're taking this yeah. amount from our crew so we want to continue to encourage you
3: yet so yep. For us to get the accurate account as we can quickly, we're going to kind of do a we're doing a little promo. We posted this on Facebook um, this morning, I think uh, this is Thursday morning. Um, so to try to get our goal of 50 by July 4th, which would be a lot of people pre registered. We know people are going to show up and pay the day of. That's great, too. Um, we're going to give <coughs> uh, everyone that registers. Uh, between now and July fourth, I think it's somewhere around noon on July fourth. Registered, Registered
1: by July fourth.
3: Registered um, by July fourth. A chance to win something pretty cool. Uh, at least I think it's going to be really cool. We we are making uh, several tapestry banner type things that will be hung at the event. Um, that'll they'll say KeyForge Live. Um, it'll be orange along with our KeyForge official logo and the Archon head looking thing. Um, which I think is pretty neat, uh, especially once you look at it, it looks like kind of trippy, the Shattered Ones. There's an image of that up on Facebook. Um, so anyone that reg- that is already registered and registers between now and July 4th will be entered in a raffle drawing uh, to take that home with them when they leave uh, the event, uh, once we're all wrapped up and done. Uh, so you get a chance to win that if you are one of the people that is already registered or registers between now and July 4th. I think that's all of that promo thing. So it should be a little fun thing to keep. Um, what do you think of that, Dan? Would you want to win a gigantic or 50 by 60 inch Key Forbes Live tapestry?
1: I want one so bad. I'm just buying one for myself.
3: <laughs> this is true. I also want one so bad. I am buying one directly since it's our thing. And I would like a memento of what we did this summer. Um, they
2: are. So yeah. su- they are super cool, guys. I mean, there's no question about it. And that's why we're throwing it up as a little incentive. So come join us and uh, have some fun.
3: Um, And then I think we might have uh, some kind of stream or video to share of what that drawing looks like that comes out either on the 4th or shortly after. So look for that. to Go up somewhere on the eForge webs uh, around or shortly after July 4th.
1: I'm also Um, planning that when my wife finds how much I spent on this, I might be living <laughs> under it. as
3: I told my wife as we went, like my father's day present this year, along with my birthday present, which is in September is simply going to be for her to do her best to ignore all of the mini transactions that are flying out of her account this summer. <laughs> and Just say, this is, this is, uh, this is my new summer job. It makes negative dollars per hour. Um, it's great. It's, Anyway, final, all right, uh, KFPL updates. Switching to that before we get into our, um, our competitive Dark Tidings piece today. Um, the final Season 3 qualifier for the KFPL is this Sunday. It is short adaptive, 12 p.m. Eastern time over there on the KFPL servers. So if you have not yet claimed your spot, head over there, get signed up, play some short adaptive keyforge. It's best of one, six-round Swiss um and uh four two or better makes it so there's no top cut oh no uh, five one or better makes it definitely not four, two. Five, one or better makes it so no top cut or anything like that just six rounds nice and short and quick um and then we will be finalizing our 64 person season three five deck survival season uh for the kfpl dan's already in it ewok you gonna play in that
2: uh unfortunately i cannot i have multiple events i i was helping someone else on our team um who's looking at dax i love short adaptive but i have i think there were three different events so what people don't know is that my daughter just turned six yesterday so happy birthday Amory. big shout out to you and we had a little gathering with one young lady who couldn't make the party but saturday is the party and then sunday is with my parents and so it's just that time of year where i have church parents there's a couple other things in real life so i'm going to be shouting on all of the ac team and anyone else who's playing so have a blast but i, I unfortunately cannot play myself
3: yeah there's oddly the single like I, I i you can sort of like know where you're at a different style of people right as far as how you are competitively short adaptive is by far the thing that i am the worst at like i am real bad at that um just am so there's what it is all right, DT, competitive elements. So we're talking about Dark Tidings and what is competitive about it, how it stands, where it's at. So that's that's where we're at. So um, we've already talked in depth about how we feel about Dark Tidings as far as uh, compared to other sets. We even mentioned it again today. Um, so let's talk about what is competitive and what that's standing up to and what's not. So... Dan what have you uh, you mentioned there are some pretty good things going on in the sealed events so you've got to see a lot of this. What are you finding is is kind of working for dark tidings for you?
1: What I see is working best in dark tidings for me is the amber burst like i don't I don't think mm-hmm. there is another set that has as often consistent amber burst that I feel like I'm seeing in dark tidings and that that probably comes from the amount of cross house cheating where you're getting value from mm-hmm everything all the time, but there are a lot of games where I'm at 12 to 15 Amber by, you know, mid-turn games, like turn six, turn seven, and mm-hmm. I'm just bursting way out. And because it's Dark Tidings, you don't worry that much about it. Yeah. Although on this last sealed event, half the field had uh, Doorstep to Heavens and made me feel uh, real sad. Yeah.
3: Which I'm glad you brought up the burstiness of it, because like initially when we saw the set, we were talking about those set uh, analytics. We all saw that there's so much, there's a bunch of pips and bursts and recursion in Untamed, and we're like, wow, this is a super bursty house. But now that we've played it more, I think um, Sanctum is just as bursty with the Strange Order of Nations. The uh, just the different ways you can trigger. Um, the guy that reaps for armor, a Urian and Larry the Lake, uh, then I think, what, there's Free Markets and Cleansing Wave too. Yep. I want to say that both of those are in there. Like, I, I feel like there's a lot... Oh, there's also that new rare that I've never pulled in any deck, the one that gets uh, more amber for neighbors down the line and keeps going. Yeah. Like, harmonic Ritual. That's three different bursty cards, four different bursty cards, one requires a combo that has to be on the board, but that is a lot of amber generation, and it's from Sanctum, which also has a lot of control. And then the third one that we didn't really um, see when we were doing the analytics, but now that I've played it a lot, I 100% agree with what Dan just said. He's talking about a lot of house cheating. Specifically, that is there's some from the phase shift in, uh, in theory or conjecture with Logos, but most of that's going to come out of your uh, star alliance like your star alliance mm-hmm. the fact that you can land diplomat that you can use unit unity Your discord to play multiple your creatures multiple times you can play that guy the, the basically the ghost hog guy cr officer hawkins being able to land him twice for four in the same turn is really easy in a lot of decks with unity you your discord and if you have a upgrade to go on top of them as you're doing that that's six amber like Star Alliance, Untamed, and Sanctum all burst Amber really, really fast. Um,
1: yeah, you so, throw yeah. the Triska in there too. Like I,
3: yeah, yeah, I forgot about so, Triska. Like, Tr- so many Trisca. dollars out of Triska. Yeah, like Triska plus Diplomat, Triska plus Taper. There's so many things that are happening that are on the burst level, and like, there's more things we can talk about combo driven with the with the Triska. But like, that's all equating to, to to your 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 space dollar phrase. Um, and that's outside of Logos, which still has the phase shift, the theory conjecture, the think, think twice. It can do all that too. I don't see Logos bursting quite as hard as often as the other three, unless it has Rooftop. Decks that have Logos with Rooftop also burst out of nowhere cause they also have those action cards I just named, plus all their scientists come in reaping, which gets a little bit absurd.
1: Yeah, so I feel like Logos... On our big we were really hoping for some crazy logos and I haven't haven't felt it. It's been okay.
3: You know, I've like seen there are, decks that are almost there. Right. But they they just didn't get there.
1: There's yep. still some really good triple Eddie logos lines out there that do really good yep. things. Mm-hmm. Um but our our dream I'm gonna just data forge three times and close this game out on turn three hasn't hasn't been found.
3: I, I have a deck that's close, but again, like it's one of those decks that does have the the sea hole. It doesn't have like enough creature control. If my opponent just runs away with the game on the board, I can't stop it. It does have a win con of data forging three times, and I have done it. Um, it's not all in the same turn, though. Like it's uh, data. I can fire data forge. I can forgive the data forge. In the next turn, I can fire data forge, and I can think twice the data forge. So it takes setup. It's super telegraphed. Um, but the deck doesn't really have enough C to do that against top tier MM board decks or whatever. And if they have design, I'm just host. GG. Good game, shit games. Walk <laughs> away. <laughs> like it's just over. <laughs> um so like that's that's what I've experienced as far as some of that combo stuff. But like I think the speed uh of the amber speed, not the actual tempo speed, is is really good. And that's one of the things that um, which we mentioned yesterday, that makes it in my mind. I, I, I love playing Dark Titans versus Dark Titans, whether it's Sealed or Archon, actually, because I've been to a few of those now. Um, I think it's a lot of fun. I did not think that was fun. Even today, when, when there are great AOA decks out there, they're really fun ones. There are also some very, very miserable AOA decks out there that are really good. Um, <laughs> when I go to an AOA versus AOA event or week of a of a league we know we're gonna see Jinka. we know we're gonna see brig drum or not and heart um like that's it that's that's really it maybe like some ronnie recursion um dan has a great deck that doesn't at, use any of those like janky elements but but he also has two decks that do <laughs> so i don't know all right
2: well, I want to kind of I want to kind of bump in because there's one other piece that I think hasn't been talked about in regards to speed. When we're looking at MM decks, I think that one of the pieces that's extremely important is you're actually looking at the tide mechanic. So manipulate the number of cards that manipulate tide versus mm-hmm. the number of cards that use tide. And there are a number of cards um that a number of decks I should say that has a lot of uses Tide effects, but has very, very, very little manipulates Tide. Yep. And so, if that happens, and you have a low speed, that deck, in my opinion, is really slow. T- correct. Yeah. And that deck most of the time is completely overrated. So the idea of actually having a close manipulates deck uh, manipulates Tide to uses Tide is extremely important. And yeah. um, there's also a lot of cards that you gain benefits. When you have the tide so really good solid players online are actually now figuring out hey I don't need to take this tide especially offset every time I'm not taking the chains for it mm-hmm. I'm going to look and see what is going to absolutely brutalize me and at that point that's when I take it and there are key cards that definitely have an impact Um I've seen quite a few kind of changes in that regard, but I wanted to put it out because I think a lot of people are necessarily missing like, Oh, I look and I I go, honestly, I find that anything kind of under nine for speed, for efficiency um, has had a very, very different impact versus what's above nine. And I don't know why that seems to be my threshold and just the DT decks that I have, but there is a night and day difference of these decks just don't move
3: on. That is, isn't that true for, off DT as well. Like I I used to be known as like an efficiency snob or not or whatnot, but the more we've played recent sets that are so much faster who also have like purge mechanics like furnace and Clone that like are punishing your opponent's deck to the point where even if they're fast and they cycle, like you're cycling and hurting your opponent's deck, like I've found it much, much harder in the current meta than I used to to play low at low efficiency decks like if it's not if your deck isn't turning if you're playing fewer cards than your opponent because the cards specifically in mm is what i'm talking about are so much better on play value efficiency is seemingly wrecking people quite a bit more and there are fantastic decks in worlds collide like that too um, especially if you're talking about some of the Star Alliance decks out there where everything, every creature has a play effect too. Um, I think that, like, that was always my slant, my my style. I think that style is definitely more dominant in the meta than it used to be.
1: I feel like from last season's KFPL, <laughs> I ran into quite a few no-efficiency Coda things, and they were super scary because... Every card was so much value, because, you know, like, nobody was playing a low-sass stack. But, you know, like, they can just chunk themselves, because the, you know, efficiency fixes bad draw, right? That's what, you know, efficiency really does, is it smooths out chunky draws. But those no-efficiency decks, man, if they draw okay, it's just brutally bad.
3: yeah that yeah the heart brutal like me brutally good or hard to, hard to beat them and that that's true for sure like my son owns a deck that has like three deaths pixies nature's call chota regrowth two control the weeks like it's it's got all these great cards but it's like a negative one f deck it's like literally if i draw this in this order i win the game pretty much versus anybody but if i draw this in this order i lose the game pretty much against anybody
1: like it's, yeah, and then you're just kind of flipping a coin, and it's not even a fifty fifty coin, right?
3: Yeah, yeah. So it's it's interesting that that's that's always going to be a thing. Um, which we might talk about that in survival next week. So I think there is a place for those high roll, low roll decks. Um, and we'll see where I think that could be. Um, but anyway, back to dark tidings. So Ewok was talking about speed. I hundred percent agree. I think if it's low speed, you're going to feel it a little bit more in DT because you're going to. Even index that have time manipulators that are a good ratio, you're still going to have times where you take the chains. Yep. Um, if you have no efficiency, the chains hurt worse. Um, it just they just do, especially in a set that does not have daughter or mother. Um, if you have Zenzi, like that's huge, but you probably already have decent speed just by having that card. Um, but not being able to increase your own draw is is significant. Um, to the chain ratio to hand size. Um, things that I love competitively about Dark Tidings, I think Dark Tidings has the best creature control card in this game. And we mentioned it earlier Grand Alliance Council from Star Alliance. Brutal. Especially if you have the Diplomat combo, which can turn your creature into a house that you don't even have. Um, this is a game winning card quite often and that is not meta specific except for maybe not against coda coda probably doesn't care if you kill their creatures most of the time um, but in the current meta what we're seeing is a lot of boards a lot of boards that matter a lot of boards that hold amber a lot of boards that hold the wincon um being able to kill all of your creatures uh, on the opposing side with one card that does not give you chains is gigantic, and there's a lot of decks that have two of those. I see them paired up quite often, and when I see it, I was like, "Heck yeah, this is the deck to play." Or if it's on the other side, it's like, "Okay, my board being's jacked; they're dead. Like it's just gonna die. <laughs> like it's not. It's not red alert. It's very hard to play around it. You kind of got to play the creatures. Um, most of the time, like other. I don't know. Thoughts on uh, other very competitive elements inside our tidings
1: guys have been having success with the reoccurring a the reusable like Mm -hmm. reusable amber control of this in shadows like a lot of the creatures are reusable amber control and again paired up with star lines where you don't have to be on shadows to use them Mm -hmm. makes it very good now just shadows on their own it's just like having Dodgers back in the day. You get back you get stuck in this Dodger loop towards the end of the game where or yeah, where you can only steal yeah. one, but it's the only way you can keep them off and you're not pushing yourself far enough ahead to win the game. Yep. Uh, but with this set, with house cheating, you gotta have the house cheating. Um
3: Yeah, Star Alliance and, is pretty significant here.
1: Yeah. The the shadows cards are really good like we you know we looked at hobnobber and went yeah we'll have to see like hobnobber on the board is a major threat
3: yeah like when he's talking about reusable we're not gonna go through exactly what they all do but he's talking about hobnobber he's talking about freebooter Fay. he's talking about um the guy that takes damage uh what's his name Hard simpson Hard simpson yeah. Um, In in the end, I found Hard Simpson to be way better than we thought he was going to be in most games, even games where you think he might not be a play. I've rarely seen the person that played him be the one that gets the disadvantage of it. Because, again, especially if you're playing offset where we were thinking that he would be the worst.
0: There's no better feeling than getting a great deal, like a hotel room upgrade or a free car wash with every tank of gas. Maybe unlimited chips and salsa with your burrito. And now, as an AT&T Wireless customer, you can get an exclusive deal on a super fast internet experience with AT&T Fiber. Get consistently fast speed, even during peak times and a great deal with AT&T Fiber. Learn more at attcom offer. Limited availability in select areas. Based on wired connection to gateway. Restrictions apply. There's no better feeling than getting a great deal, like a hotel room upgrade or a free car wash with every tank of gas maybe unlimited chips and salsa with your burrito. And now as an AT&T wireless customer, you can get an exclusive deal on a super fast internet experience with AT&T fiber, get consistently fast speed, even during peak times and a great deal with AT&T fiber. Learn more at att.com slash fiber offer limited availability in select areas based on wired connection to gateway restrictions apply. Like
3: they have to take chains to do it. And they probably don't want to do that. Um, So, yeah, like, I think people
1: are trapping themselves because they're taking three chains to get that one steel off of the hard Simpson when they damage them. And you're like, "Okay, yeah,
2: Yeah. that's a good trade. Honestly, when we're looking at um, what you're gaining out of it, one amber or one steel, in my opinion, for three chains is not a good investment. And I still see a lot of people going
3: too high in order to take the. uh, they're overvaluing. Yes. Taking the tie. Yeah. And yeah, people are getting burned by it. Uh, I've definitely seen it in games that I've played uh, games that I've watched. Um, so I think that's pretty neat uh, as far as the dark, uh, the, the shadows, reusable steel. Um. So I want to go back to star Alliance for a second. I think that the
2: important piece for star Alliance that I've seen is star alliance needs to have a board with other things. If you just put Star Alliance out because it comes early, um, you're not really helping yourself in DT. Um, Having other houses where you can go ahead and house cheat, you're able to use other things is extremely important. So, not necessarily killing the whole board for a DT in in Star Alliance, but actually making sure that your other houses are taken care um, of—that really, really diminishes the value that I'm seeing from Star Alliance. So that was a big piece. I also think little things like upgrades for way of the pixie for untamed. Um, I, I think that it actually gets around quite a bit of in furnace that I'm gaining um, quite uh-huh. a bit from it. And because I can put it on a creature that's already out that frankly, you didn't think twice about like, Oh, I played Mollyhawk a couple turns ago and you've just kept it there. It did its work. Now, all of a sudden it gains an Amber plus, an extra Amber, and that becomes something that Infernus isn't just going to chew up and spit back out. Uh, That has played an impact when we're talking about that burst. Um, Some of these lower A decks I've seen actually just going ahead, their Amber, they can actually increase it by quite a bit by having these huge burst turns. Um, That's important for me to be able to see.
3: Yeah. Um, So, so far, competitiveness is Amber Rush from multiple houses um being able to it, reuse the it steel does stuff.
1: seem to lack yeah. the key cheats to really make the amber yeah. burst sell right like it's it's hard you know like especially offset uh, that amber burst starts to scare me a little more where the big scaling amber is a little more present
2: Well, correct, because what we're really looking at... I jumped over to Untamed, but Untamed, I'm looking at Chelonia. Okay, Chelonia is there. We can have the creatures to be able to utilize it and to have that burst. There's your Hunting Witch. Um, Interestingly enough, I have not seen a lot of um, multiple Chelonia decks, where all of a sudden you're having three Chelonia. That's just not what I have been running into, and so that's interesting as that common. Um, But you don't have a way... you, You really have to have Key Frog, and then you have to have... Fang Tooth to kill it. You can have some yeah. infighting. I mean, there, there's some hard things, but in it's
3: not... Or um, Waste not, right? Yeah.
2: Correct, right. but those, those aren't... You're looking at multiple card combos versus, hey, I just played Chota, or I just played Key Charge. It was just so easy, and DT does not have that piece in order to Amber Burst and then take it. And so, yeah, Scaling Amber I think against it is extremely important.
3: Mm-hmm. So... So that is the one of the big is vulnerabilities. There, is is there that it is vulnerable to big big any, number?
1: Any artifacts in this set that are as game deciding as there have been in previous sets?
3: I don't I've seen one person so far and I think they're on our team that has fielded a very strong uh ceaseforge deck that if at some point in the game, he'll be able to land Sword, and most likely he will win from hand on his turn with a keyfrog um if you don't understand what's going on and or are able to address that situation very quickly okay um that's but that but again, like he does have a lot of archiving in that deck, so normally if he gets early, he could just stash it um so but that's not nearly on the level of like a Quixel Stone or Jar or whatever, right?
1: Right. Well, I was going to say, what are the other two artifacts that I think the the oofbrecht device, Umbrecht? Yeah.
3: yeah. Yep. Can't, can't call the house thing.
1: That, that can, can wreck. make a real big impact, especially playing against MM and Worlds Glide, where they actually want to often build a, a board and use it.
3: Yeah, just call the same house over the and over yep. again.
1: I know I've seen some decks do decent things with that, but I don't know if it's really been an archetype
3: yet yeah i've i've seen it played i've seen it do some effects but i've not seen it matter enough to call it a game like clinching type of thing that i would want to aggressively address or hold a guys for even um yeah i can't really i mean there are some strange things out there i think there's some cards that are really good offset i guess um the uh what's it called Dry the river.
2: Dry the river is there. I mean, honestly, the artifact that's popping in my mind is rooftop rooftop, especially letting you forge like then to be able to come back and take that away. That Mm -hmm. has had an impact in a number of the games that I've seen. And um, while it's not completely viable in every single deck, there is a pretty high percentage that I've seen where they're just able to pull it off. And
3: just losing a key is huge. There's no question about it. I did pull off the it's so many cards and it's a crazy combo, but I did pull off a the Doctor Rockter Reckless Experiment Pi Sweven, and Unity or Discord combo in live play uh, last week. Um, that is borderline uh, pretty much uh, library access style pain as far as watching the opponent player because. That turn takes a long time. Um, you're active the entire time. But what you're basically doing is you're playing Rockter, playing the special upgrade on it. You're playing Pi Swevin, uh, You're reaping with Pi. You're drawing three cards. You're reaping with Rockter. You're putting Unity or Discord on top of your deck. Then you're playing Unity or Discord to put Pi Sweven and Dr. Rockter and the upgrade back in your hand. And since play reap is two things, you can do that three more times. And then the last thing you play is just not unity discord, some other action. Um, So you end up reaping for six, getting three pips off the upgrade, um, drawing nine cards and playing some other action from your discard pile. Uh, So that's pretty dang good. And that's in a lot. There are a lot of decks
1: that have that unity and discord is just a very, very good card
3: that's that's exactly what i did i i 100 percent abuse unity or discord um, and even if I didn't have the Pice weapon, it's still six amber and at the very end you use a different action, just not unity or discord so if, even without Pice weapon it's it's a combo that exists in a lot of decks basically any ground breaking discovery deck that has unity or discord can have a six Amber from hand combo at some point in the game that they, if, if, um, if you hold it or archive the pieces for it, they will not be able to stop you doing that. And if you happen to have vice weapon too, that's some pretty busted stuff. Cause nine cards, nine Amber and another action is pretty, pretty extreme.
1: Okay. So we, we've kind of hit where most houses can make part of your good competitive deck. We haven't really said anything about Unfathomable, right? Like the new house, and we've not once said this and Unfathomable oh, is making a competitive deck.
2: This is where I was looking. I have seen competitive uh, Unfathomable, but they are very, very rare in my opinion. And yeah. it, is a, it is a control piece. It is a heavy, heavy control piece. Yeah. And you got to picture Unfathomable has two different outlets that they're really trying to go for. And so if you have a split on those cards you're just not playing competitive however if you do have it it can shut down the game
3: it really can yeah i guess i I, i do agree like if you have the double like the maelstroms plus the brain drains plus the bubbles um that kind of stuff like that i think is way more competitive than the other slant which can win you some games against some of the super board decks. The other slant is I'm going to tap down everything you have. I'm going to keep it tapped. Occasionally, I'm going to kill everything that's tapped. Um, and you're never going to get to use creatures, which there are some that out that, at that but we've talked about it a couple times. You are just mentioned it. Most decks are just a hodgepodge mi- mix of these two things. Um, and they aren't synergistic with each other at all, especially when it comes to. I'm going to exhaust all your stuff. Then I'm going to bubbles. One of them like that. That's doesn't one of those two things didn't matter at all. (laughs) Like it's they don't play nice.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, like the only place I've seen them doing much is when they're brain draining kind of at closeout. Right. Uh, Yeah. You know, like it's, you it's your lock up a key house.
3: I mean, the big two to me is brain brain drain and Maelstrom are really dang good at some point in time, if you play a deck with either of those two cards in the deck, one, at some point, those two, one of those two cards is going to win you a game. Like, period. If you play enough, you'll be able to set it up and make it happen. You'll be able to take off the amber control with Brain Drain. They'll have eight big creatures on their board that literally have no A on them. You'll Maelstrom, and you have three turns where you can forge whatever the heck you want. Um... Like that's going to happen, and those cards are great. It's just can the rest of your deck either play the good cards from out of house, which is very, very possible, or are there enough other mediocre to at least decent cards with the brain drains and the maelstroms to make up for you having to call that house? Um, and a lot of the times the answer is no. So, the other piece are some that are yes, the other
2: piece. You were talking artifacts earlier. Whirlpool does stand out as an artifact that makes you think differently. When we first saw Curiosaurus, makes you think different. When we first you know, went ahead and saw Quixel, it makes you think and play different. Uh, Whirlpool is one of those where you have to be aware of the game and kind of the what the deck can do. If it can capture onto a creature that is frankly low and then coming over to you, that yeah. is brutal. Absolutely brutal. But... Um, Unfathomable is going in multiple directions, and that's where I have a little bit of an issue yeah. with it right now. I have.
3: Uh, I, I, I will admit that I like because basically with like Quixel, Heart of the Forest, Curiosaurus, like there's a stage of the game where you're trying to process it where your brain just hurts, and then eventually you move on to like I got this. I'm currently in my brain hurts stage of Whirlpoolness. <laughs> like
1: I've, I'm on the other end. I. Now my experience with Whirlpool, I think it's a bad card and you generally don't want to play it. Unless, I mean, if you're playing against a Coda deck or something where, you know, they have no capture, but it is just this stupid card that lets them capture all your Amber on one creature and then hand it over every turn. And, you know, I guess there's just so much MM and... Uh even Worlds Collide out there that does that kind of thing that captures a ton of amber.
3: Yeah, that... which would I think we'd kind of mentioned when we first looked at the card is there's just yeah. there are really good capture lines in Dark Tidings, but I think there are also like Sorian Worlds Collide captures better than any house in any set, period.
1: So if you run into any of those Saurian decks that's rough. I don't know. I think MM can stack up Amber faster than
3: real. I mean, I guess Anthony. Yeah. Anthony would be pretty funny.
1: Well, just spoils and exalt. Takes a lot yeah. Of but Amber you away.
3: can tribute exalt also in world. Well, like, anyways, this like there's it, plenty right.
1: of it between both of those sets. It doesn't yeah. really matter which one is better. Right. But they can both yeah. just generate a ton of Amber on their own creatures and then hand it over. Uh, so, I yeah, I don't know about Whirlpool. That one's not... Well, but I possible.
3: think there's definitely going to be legitimate Whirlpool decks where if you can't answer Whirlpool, it will be a problem, because I've even seen I don't know how, how many there are, but I have seen someone that was playing a Fangtooth Whirlpool deck, and that was pretty hard to deal with.
1: So, I uh I did play a Whirlpool Evil Twin deck, and I had the Evil coup. So I got to hand it over to my opponent and then <laughs> they, they can only play one of each type. And my argument that Evil Culp's effect is worth it totally stands because he beat me with my own Evil Culp because he basically <laughs> used it, discarded his hand and kicked my everything off the board, right? It's, yeah. That effect is worth it. That effect I, can be I, worth
3: I it. I was Game on this state where, like, I think it could be valuable because that is a lot of see. And like <laughs> playing
1: one of each type of card isn't that penalizing? Like, how often are you? I mean, like if your deck isn't a high F deck, how often are you really going? I got two creatures, two two and two. You're like, you know, you're one one and one, and you discard your extra creature, maybe. Like, I don't know. I think
3: it's well, evil cop is a little different. It's you can only play. Oh, well, no, you're right. One of it's still one of side.
2: So, yeah, so evil cop that's is not you cannot. That bad. Yeah, you can not play more than one card of each type each turn. Fight, reap, discard any number of cards from your hand. For each card discarded this way, deal two to an enemy creature.
1: Yeah. Like I think he's pretty good. Uh, anyways, there's that. And then we we haven't touched on Saurians in Dark Tidings.
3: Well, cool, well, we're talking about competitive, right? Oh
1: yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> uh, I got crushed by Saurian. In Dark Tidings the other day, playing Uh, against Dark Tidings. And it's because he dropped four or five creatures that were all five plus power. And like I said, like this set can have no C. And that's what I had. And I'm just like, all my creatures are smaller than your seven, two, seven power, two armor guys kick my
3: butt. 12 dudes. Um, I'll give a little love to you, Sorian. Uh, I have done very well with Dark Tidings sealed Sorian lines. Because again, if you're playing Dark Tidings Sealed, a lot of the decks just don't have the C. They'll have a lot of A and no C, or they will have C, but either uh, They're very little A, but either way. Um I I've I've played done competitively with Sorians inside Dark Tidings Sealed, but if you go outside of a sealed environment where it's Dark Tidings versus Dark Tidings Archon, um I I don't think they're good enough there. I think you'll you'll see the decks that have Grand Alliance Council and they'll just go away. So,
1: um, having played yeah. it, do they not feel a lot like what Sanctum was in Coda?
3: I know I originally compared them to like the Brobnar Worlds Collide, they are definitely not as bad as yeah, that.
1: they're not that bad. I think they're no. I think they're much more in line with Sanctum and Coda, where like they I can, I can build can a big that. board they, they and have, win.
3: yeah, they have options. They actually do have a decent key cheat in a lot of decks because, um, yep imperial forge Forge is is there really dang easy to fire in this set because spoils of battle medicus city state like uh reach advantage you capture a ton real fast in huge chunks um see i uh, think
2: i think that was the piece reach advantage comes in multiples that i've seen and with that and bury the riches you can really get some value out of it um if you have spoils reach advantage um there there are some decks that are there i think medicus lacus is just honestly too easy that i'm going to take the three chains in order to make sure that you don't forge um so yeah, that really does oh, hurt that is
1: on par with Buoy, where yeah. in offset you're just taking chains to keep me from using this amber like it's it's still a good a good card like i yeah. in some ways
3: offset uh, Buoy and medicus are real good
1: yeah I don't think after playing, I'm actually that much of a fan of hydro cataloger offset. It gives too much value to taking the thing and onset yeah. again. Like you're just, I, I don't feel like I get more value than my opponent does out of it. Anymore. I'm fine with it.
3: Offset. I think hydro cataloger is, unless you know, you have them like manipulation advantage, like by a significant number. Um, I've more issues with hydro cataloger played in-set, DT versus DT, then offset. Um, that said, Hydro Cataloger is a really good piece if you do have a good Data Forge deck. Um, there are good ones out there. There's just no bonkers OTK ones that are super good that we were talking about, but there are several decks that can fire Data Forge um way more in comparison to the previous sets for data Forge. i
1: think so the coliseum is a better cheat in this set than it has been mostly because your dinos suck at doing anything else but they're okay at yeah
3: yeah
1: so the other piece that's
2: been really odd for me is in star alliance that static collection array um i've played offset and i've had more and more people that as i get they'll actually use it to keep you off of key
3: I, um, I've done a lot of thinking about static collection array because we kind of like Buoy, We thought yeah. it was going to be good offset, but but because of stuff like doorstep, bring low, mm-hmm. TMTP, like and even uh, graft, they can let you forge it five and take more. Like static collection array is just a bad card. <laughs> it's it's not good. It's it's it, there's a lot of the good decks out there. Will love it if they can make your amber cost seven at any point in time. uh, Offset. I was trying to say
1: two of them makes it better or worse, but based off of what you were saying, probably
3: worse. Even worse. Even worse. Because what? You're more vulnerable to graft. You're more vulnerable the other way, the way that they actually control to TMTP and stuff like that. Like it's, there are too many cards that already punish you from going high from very, oh, baits, which sucks now, but um but from the very beginning of an a that scales to the very end it is worse for you to play that a collection array most of the time against very good decks
1: but it has uh, an amber pip on it
3: i well, know that's why
1: we know that I'm we play our amber pip.
3: It away under like that speed sigil thing like yep. in modern play it's probably something you should be discarding unless you know exactly what you're doing with it uh Uh, One of the people in the KFPL had a Speed Sigil deck that he played it to great effect versus Worlds Collide and MM, but he had a game plan. He knew exactly what that game plan was and it won games for him. A lot of people that are playing Speed Sigil at random and whatever deck they're in don't have anywhere nearly as thought out as a plan for all the things he would do with Speed Sigil in every house. (laughs) Like... They just want extra reap value, and they don't understand that their reap value does not equate to a Star Alliance creature getting a play action and a reap action trigger in twice in the same turn.
2: (laughs) I I also think that when we're looking at Sarian, um, I don't place it as Coda Sanctum. I actually place it as a step below, but I do place it above Worlds Collide, Brobner. I know that was earlier. Um, I just don't see the
1: got that same kind of play feel to it, where you just play a bunch of big creatures. Who don't yeah, do much. I, I think but they my don't original have the analogy
3: probably stands for me. I I put them with Brobnar Coda. Like bro, it can okay. be really good Damn. if you got all the play effect creatures with okay. War Drummer. Or it could be really good if you got like Crump, Gauntlet, uh, Headhunter, Fire Spitter, and all the relentless of Soft stuff. Like if if all of Brobnar was doing the same goal, Brobnar was really hard to deal with. But again, most of the time, you got a few of the play effects got a few of the fighters, maybe not enough fight triggers from hand, and it did random stuff. I bet. So
1: definitely yeah. in sealed that one dino who, when he plays, he lets you exalt and reap with a non-Saurian creature.
3: Oh, yeah. Ooh. Yep. Magistrate or whatever it is. That yep. is some Magistrate- real, good, it-
1: real good house cheating there, too. Real
3: good. Yeah, yeah. No, I really love that card. I also like the... Um, Felix, the one that just exalts opponent stuff like that's actually a pretty good
1: dino because he does it on fight, too. uh, I know you didn't them. Well,
2: let me let me put this in. Magistrate Vita is five power Saurian. Play Reap. You may exalt a friendly non-sanctum creature if you don't reap with it. So that was what uh, sheep you were talking about. That's another
1: one where like Star Alliance, you get him early and you like want to play your off house first because you're like, I want to use him when I play him.
3: Yep. What was the other one that you guys were talking about? Uh, Felix. Yeah. Philo. Um... Oh, Philo. Is it Philo? It's it's Philo. Yeah, Philo.
2: Philo. All right. Uh, Physicist. Uh, Felix. Is that it? Where play
4: yeah.
3: fights if the tide is high, you may exalt a creature. Mm-hmm. I love it because it's also play fights a five power dude like. Basically, he's re he is in a way reaping on both effects. It's almost like a better headhunter type thing, because the exalt is happening as long as you have stuff to kill. Um, I've had, again, in sealed Dark Titans play, Magistrate, uh, the Felix, the one you just talked about, have done very good for me, especially since Crushing Charge is in set, and most of the time that kills the entire opposing board. If they're Logos, Star Alliance, or Shadows, like killing everything for a blow does almost nothing to any Saurian creature, um, but kills almost all of Logo Star Alliance and Shadows.
1: This set could have really used Axiom.
3: It could have, but again, they'd already. Uh, I guess. I mean, we, we've still got Gateway. Uh, yeah, I and, think that yeah. it. I think.
2: I think the Saurian lineup needed to have something else to do with the Amber. I just still feel that oh, yeah. it's an Amber battery. Okay, yeah. fine. I can go ahead and I can use it for bury the riches. I can use it for Imperial Forge. But for the most part, man, I, I have a really nice fun deck with uh, my Sanctum and uh, sorry with my Saurian. And when you don't have your bury the riches, you're just sitting there like, "Yep, take all my losing, Amber
3: back." Losing Scootum and Ludo. Uh, and ideal, all three things being lost uh, in the set transition was a pretty big blow to the story. Like, if if almost any of those had stayed, it would be a slightly different conversation. And if all three had stayed, I mean, I think the Sorin would be just as good as it was in MM, still worse than Worlds Collide, but just as good. But they're gone, so we feel that we feel it immediately. Even it's not like
1: Curiosaurus could have,
3: yeah, fixed it, even Curiosaurus would have helped some, yeah, like all of. I'm curious, like, that's four cards that we could name it. Or even, like, Ancient Powered Imperium. Bring Imperium back or keep Ancient Power. Those are significant. Even if the Amber isn't protected, at least it is harder to deal with your board because it's not there. So... All right. Uh, I think that's what's uh, competitive in Dark Titans. Are we saying Dark Titans is hugely competitive against the most competitive decks right now? No. No. But I will tell you... The number of decks that have been scanned in is way lower. Of course, I'm C, so I don't know the actual numbers, even though I'm a math teacher. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> it is way lower than comparative sets that we've been talk, comparing it against. It's way lower than MM still, by drastically lower than World's Glide AOA, and is just like a spec compared to CODA as far as decks scanned. Um, as we get more decks and I expect to start seeing better SAS uh ratings and metrics of some of those decks and more decks showing up and surprising some old school good decks um and wrecking them like I think we will see some ultimate combo decks I think we will see some burst decks that we just can't stop um because they are bursting from three different houses uh we talked about at the top of this this segment like i don't really like it would be hard to name a set that could super burst from three houses really easily. Like, I don't know.
2: All right. Any, that's the, I, I will say one more piece for DT. What I have seen is a very, very low creature count consistently. And so that has an impact on the game too, when you are playing. Um, and so I think that's why I'm feeling some of that low C a little bit more. Some of the decks that I really enjoy, they're just lacking in the sea. They're, they're lacking, and then they don't have uh, the creatures to back it up. So the combination, I, I put this in when we we're looking at uh, our short adaptive. If you have very low sea and you have few creatures, it just, it, that, that creates issues, in my opinion. So kind of keep that in mind. Um, you got some powerful pieces there, but how it's used for DT, it makes you think a little bit more um on, on the other note i will say the card from earlier why i suck at key forge abysmal zealots that's that's the card i'm shaking my fist at today four power uh, aquan after you raise the tide capture two you can't raise the tide if it's already high my friends so after yeah. your opponent raises the tide move two from abysmal zealots yes. to the common supply so it it happens but yes i do think dt is competitive i don't think it's top level competitive
3: though And I agree. At the time, I'm hoping we're going to see some stuff like very early on, like a lot of people forget what was out there, what was seen at the time. But very, I I feel like around this time of AOA, we were saying the same thing. And right now, today, in the present world, I can point to like, I think my list is now six. There are like six AOA decks in the world that can wreck tons and tons of decks that would be very hard to... Um go up against them, no matter what deck you have. And that's saying a lot. Like that is a significant thing to say. Um especially since very early on we were all really low on AOA. Um, one of us at least still is. Uh, so I think I, that I, I, I think, think that hope. Will play I up. hope it sells enough decks yeah. that get scanned in to so that we can see what it truly can be. Um so I think that it will definitely
2: beat the six. Um, I have no issue about that. But I think that it plays differently, and I think that SAS is not valuing how it plays. So you're seeing a couple different types of players kind of start to show up and play, but again, very, very mid level, not not necessarily high level, which is what some of us are looking for.
1: I, I'm so very much of the opinion that uh the play community overvalues Coda and it's Oh yeah and it's competitiveness to decks opened thing. Like people think, I mean, like when you look at the number of truly really good CODA decks versus the amount that are opened. Yeah, it's to very low. Good MM to MM yeah. that is opened. Like it's clear you buy MM decks.
3: Yeah, MM is producing high quality decks, like super high quality decks at a far superior rate than CODA. And like twice or triple that compared to AOA. Um, because while I can name like six AOA, I cannot name in any kind of list. Yeah, right. We the got number the number of devastating between, MM decks out there. Yeah,
1: between me and you, uh, we have six MM decks that we think could do something.
3: Yeah, like it's the like there every competitive team in Keyforge has great MM decks right now, multiple.
2: And I think oh. this is why, again, this is why cycling back all the way around that we are looking at Keyforge Live being MM. That we have two um, future topics, and one of those is MM sealed experience and kind of mm-hmm. what to look for. With the limited play experience, MM sealed, uh, there's a lot that you can open that can just be an absolute banger.
3: We still have a really in depth talk about playing against, playing an Archon MM deck live because, guys, there's tips on there. And guess what? You don't get to know where the pip is.
1: Yeah, <laughs> but that is for another time. Yes.
3: All right, that is us. Take us out, Dan.
1: Yeah, that's it. Uh, remember, we're still playing Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday nights over on Archon's Corner. Uh, also, Wednesday nights as well with Low Car, uh through the Archon's Corner Discord. So if you're looking for other regular events, come check us out there. Sign up for live. Come play with us at live. If you can't play with us at live, uh tell everybody you know, anyways, to come play with us at live. Let FFG know that you're interested in these kinds of events. Um, that's what we got going on.
2: Have a great week, play Stay safe, everyone. Play forge. have some fun. Come a
0: There's no better feeling than getting a great deal, like a hotel room upgrade or a free car wash with every tank of gas. Maybe unlimited chips and salsa with your burrito. And now, as an AT&T wireless customer, you can get an exclusive deal on a super fast internet experience with AT&T Fiber. Get consistently fast speed, even during peak times, and a great deal with AT&T Fiber. Learn more at att.com slash fiber offer. Limited availability in select areas based on wired connection to gateway. Restrictions apply. There's no better feeling than getting a great deal, like a hotel room upgrade or a free car wash with every tank of gas, maybe unlimited chips and salsa with your burrito. And now, as an AT&T wireless customer, you can get an exclusive deal on a super fast internet experience with AT&T Fiber. Get consistently fast speed, even during peak times, and a great deal with AT&T Fiber. Learn more at att.com slash fiber offer. Limited availability in select areas based on wired connection to gateway. Restrictions apply.
5: Sign up for the newsletter so you never miss an update. This episode of Podcast Beyond is sponsored by Square Enix.
6: Beyond and hello everyone. My name is Jonathan Dornbush, and this is podcast Beyond IGN's weekly PlayStation show, covering all the latest and greatest in the world of PlayStation. Even if PlayStation is kind of quiet some weeks. Uh, joining me this week is very special guest Frogman from the hit Spider-Man universe. Frogman, how are you doing? <laughs> good to have you here.
7: Frogman's doing good.
6: Good, good to know. Also, Brian, Brian Altano is here as well. Hey, Brian. Good to see you. <laughs> on. On. Good to, be back. to see you as yeah. well. Uh, we've also got Lucio Brennan ryan joining us this week i can't speak it's, i'm just i'm so blown away by our, our panel today
8: no you were just blown away by frogman and his that's little true. underwear Yeah. hello it's nice to be here
6: good to have you back and
8: also joining us this week zach ryan zach, hey everybody i don't have any
9: frogmen at hand i'm sorry that's fine
6: do you have a rat nearby any rats no, no rats either no I'm
9: rats sorry. that's unfortunate i came uh, prepared well,
6: We always do. That's kind of how we run things here. But even though uh, we'll have plenty to talk about in the world of frogs and rats, most likely throughout the rest of the episode, uh, we do have a a little bit of PlayStation news that we're going to cover briefly at the top of the show. Uh, And then we are going to get a little bit into, obviously I was mentioning, you know, PlayStation has been a little quiet. They weren't at E3. We had that Horizon Forbidden West state of play a little before E3, but uh, we're kind of just waiting on them to have their big showcase at some point. We're all sort of expecting it. Uh, So we're going to talk a little bit about what we hope we'll see at whatever that next showcase is. It's of course not announced. Knowing our recording schedules, it will probably be announced in between us recording and the show going live. Uh, So we'll talk a little bit about the things we hope that we'll see show up there and the things that we expect as well. Uh, But I do want to touch on just a couple of other things that have been happening this week. Uh, As of the day that we're recording this, uh, June 24th, tomorrow, June 25th, is the day As of right now, I believe that a trailer app for the mysterious game Abandoned is supposed to go live on the PlayStation 5. And if you haven't been following uh, Abandoned uh, online, you've basically been missing out on the latest and greatest conspiracy theory in the world of gaming. Uh, We don't want to spend too much time speculating on what's going on with this, but long story short, essentially Abandoned was this uh, first-person horror game that was reeled in a PlayStation blog post a few months ago. Uh, And since then, everyone on the internet is pretty sure it's a Hideo Kojima game. Uh, And there have been a lot of putting together Uh, Very, very Charlie Day uh, in that It's Always Sunny episode, Pepe Sylvia sort of uh, conspiracy theory ideas that Abandoned and its creators are secretly Kojima making Silent Hills for real, and this is all going to be revealed via this mysterious trailer app. since then, the creators have doubled down in tweets saying like, we are not Kojima, we are not Konami, we are not associated with any of that stuff that hasn't stopped the internet from speculating uh, continuously, uh, even with the, the developer behind the studio, posting a video of himself on Twitter and everyone saying, see, he posted a video. He must be a paid actor. Uh, it is a very, very silly, labyrinthine conspiracy theory thing that's been going on. Uh, we have a great report sort of breaking down everything that's been going on with it. Uh, it's been updating daily, so the, not every detail is there, but we have a lot of really great stuff that uh, Jordan Ullman, uh, one of our writers, did sort of covering what's been going on there. Uh, and I just sort of wanted to throw to the panel before we you know, get into some other stuff, I don't think it's Silent Hills or Kojima. I think this is an indie developer who maybe is in a little bit over their head with a a marketing rollout that kind of got away from them. Mm-hmm. And it's the internet, and you just can't stop the internet from conspiracy theories. Um, Brian, I'll start with you. Well, what's your sort of like feeling on abandoned right now?
7: Um, I, I think you kind of nailed it. I, I, this is definitely a, a scenario where they, you know, the, the one of the heads of the studio had to come out and be like, "I am a human person. I'm a real. I'm real. real. Don't." Don't- I don't doubt that. There was like all this drama on the subreddit uh, over the last few days where people were sort of just like pulling this thing apart. I will say that like we just got out of E3. I love the big like hype. I love all like the sizzle reels and all that stuff like that. Uh, Video games have ripped off everything from movies except for the part where they send a press release to Deadline announcing the title, the plot, and all of the people involved. Like movies get announced. In, in, in a, a comparatively, comparatively boring ways way. because the, it's just like just six like paragraphs paragraph. and it's a lot of a sort lot of production of, notes uh, and stuff like that but it, like, like a lot of details get exposed like, and revealed very early on in a project uh, like i was just about reading about a, a horror movie um like uh, two days ago from you know cronenberg's son has been making horror movies and he's working on a new one they announced the, the plot of the movie the, the there's like a two sentence description when they're going to start shooting when the movie's going to come out and who's in it And like video games just don't do that. Like everything has to be this like, ooh, it's a puzzle (laughs) all the time. Like every single video game is just like, oh, there's a countdown clock. And what are we working on? It's a tease. It's a logo. It's everything's an ARG. And even when it's not, um, even when it's just sort of like, here's what we're doing the fans have been so conditioned to think everything is a puzzle that we warp everything into being a puzzle. And I think that like, that's really fun. A lot of times there's a lot of like, and we get a lot of mileage out of that here at IGN, right? There's a lot of like speculative conversations and out of like what this, what what this could be kind of stuff. It's great. Like if you look at Death Stranding, right, that was like five years of like just weird short art films of whales and ink and astronauts and all this nonsense to fi- to finally figure out what it actually was. And there was a long time there where people thought it was a Metal Gear game and it was all these other things um, until we finally found out it's Death Stranding, which has been out for a while. But I, I kind of wish that video games were a little bit more direct in their marketing, in their presentation, in their reveals, um, because I think that we've, we've backed ourselves into a corner here and we've decided that everything needs to be this mystery. And I, I kind of wish it wasn't
6: yeah it's a i it is a lot of fun sometimes to see the speculation go off the rails i am sure it has not been fun for this developer you know like if, if we get to this point and we do have it confirmed that everything is not some silent hills kojima mystery box arg that's been going on this guy's probably had a few sleepless nights going on right and like regardless of the quality of the game it is a lot for a human being to have to go through it's it is, but I also understand the natural human inclination, but I totally agree with you. It's part of the fact that like the industry is built on that mystery. So mm-hmm. much of every reveal, every like major game drop has some air of mystery to it. And I think that's especially why when we all been working from home, like this there has been so much energy. I feel like an increased energy. And Lucy, I feel like we've talked about this. Like there's been an increased focus and attention put on leakers and everyone who has inside information. And the second someone says something on the internet, people just kind of want information. And so Mm -hmm. people glom onto these things. And I think you've had a bit of like, you know, weird coincidences here and there, like the developer's initials being HNK. And so people assume Kojima there, like people drawing lines where they... like I see where the human brain can go but it's a it's a very strange fascinating story I don't know how you feel about in terms of like where we're getting with this reveal but I I just kind of want to get past the point of it and see what the actual game is Mm -hmm. like I hope it's a cool
8: horror game yeah I mean like I want you know I I I love uh horror games as, as as people know um but you know I also love A dumb conspiracy theory. I (laughs) love the fact that people thought Avril Lavigne died and was replaced by a clone. Oh, that actually actually did happen. That actually did happen. Right? Oh, okay. Of course.
4: That's actually true.
8: Um, Great. The receipts.
9: Um,
8: (laughs) (laughs) And I, you know, this was one of those. And I know, you know, it affected Blue Box, and and I do feel for them, but at the same time i kind of i feel sort of a little bit the opposite to you altano like i love the stupidity of the conspiracy theories that happen in video games i mean to you know to a point i don't i certainly don't want anyone to get hurt and i don't want anyone to you know lose sleep or business uh over a conspiracy theory but this one has been particularly fun to unravel just because i don't know it was it's it Sort of, they certainly didn't help their cause at a certain point in, of time and and tweeting out, you know, things that were very leading and misleading. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, again, small indie studio over their head. I get it, and I, I think the ship will be righted eventually once people actually see what this is. But like, <laughs> I've been finding it quite entertaining. And um, Jordan Ollerman, who you mentioned, uh, who's been covering it for IGN, he's a freelancer uh, based in the UK. Uh, so he's one of six people followed by this indie studio, which means that all of these conspiracy theorists, theorists, theorists uh, believe that he's part of it. Believe that he's part of this whole grand plan to, uh, you know, basically unravel a Kojima game. Um, via... well, I think
7: we should we should probably exclusively reveal on the show right now, then, for the subreddit that Jordan is a ghost.
8: Yes. Yeah.
6: Yes. Yeah. He yes. Is. And, yeah. 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 So and he was
7: through walls and stuff, so that's just you know, just put that out there. The yeah, it took it was he time. It's time that we come 18. forward with that. It
8: was, it was a <laughs> yeah. difficult onboarding process, but you know, we got it. Um, but you well, know, mostly like,
9: because he was trying to sign his contract and the pen kept same. <laughs> <into his hands. laughs>
8: <laughs> I don't know. It's it's funny, and like I've always loved the fact that Kojima is. You know, Kojima was like very much an original sort of like troll for me before I knew what trolling was. And uh, I love the fact that people are always expecting him to 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 be trolling and he's certainly got a track record of it. Again, I think as soon as we see what Abandon actually is, I think it will turn out to be a cool little horror game and that will be that. But right now I'm just like, this is kind of entertaining. I'm like, so, I'm enjoying myself.
9: So that's what I was going to say is like the the reason I feel like this is like a cyclical, like a self-fulfilling prophecy is because Kojima is the one that sort of masterminded or engineered the idea of like, I've created a misleading trailer. Like I've created this trailer to throw people off the scent of what it really is. So the more people deny that this thing isn't what they want or think it could be, the more they're like, oh, no, this is tricky. Kojima added And then it doesn't help that he's also in the media right now talking about how it's important to have misleading trailers. It's important to plant these misnomers. And so people are like, oh, he's over there. He's saying mm-hmm. this stuff. Like, it, it just, it's the, the, it's a, it's an Ouroboros, right? Like, it's just, yeah, the, no, the more love. it becomes uh, this, this denial, the more people are like, oh, they, look how hard they're denying. it. It must be true. And like yeah. you said at the beginning, Jonathan, like it definitely smacks of maybe a small team that it is in over their heads because their initial response was to lean into it and be like yeah that's right like we, who we might be kojima you don't know and then they're like oh <laughs> shit this backfired we're definitely not that we're definitely not him like
6: well, and uh, and speaking to what lucy was mentioning like a couple moves that they've made that haven't quite like that have played into this hand a little bit was like that tweet that they did where it was like abandoned equals s first letter l last mm-hmm. letter and it's like everyone immediately i think that was the tweet that really catapulted mm-hmm. this from like Okay, maybe this could be something to people really, really getting into the idea that this could be Silent Hill, which I, I genuinely do not think it is. If we get to tomorrow and it is, awesome. But yeah, it's like going back to the Kojima of it all. It, it is that funny, fascinating thing of like the last time he... Like we were talking about Death Stranding marketing and and definitely there was like misleading or mysterious elements of it. But like the last time he really, really doubled in on the like fake developer was phantom pain right. and it was mm-hmm. but it was like the most ham-fisted obvious version of it so yeah. either this is like to me the thing is like the fact that they keep what it and you call because
8: yourself... Jokin mogren yeah
7: yeah and, <laughs> yeah jeff had to like interview that guy wrapped in bandages <laughs>
8: Yeah,
6: <laughs> like it was so, <laughs> so obviously dumb. bad so dumb and the internet figured it out in like 30 seconds so like Mm -hmm. that's part of it for me is like the fact that there aren't enough concrete bits of evidence here is like we're we are much better at being sleuths too much at this point in time and so i feel like if if the the things were there that really pointed it out they would have revealed themselves by now but again who knows at this point like Mm -hmm. i i am along for the ride as as you all are saying like it is fun to engage with this stuff i wish the video game marketing machine didn't allow for it to be so easy to get swept up because I think some of the clues people are leaning on definitely are just, it's just a coincidence. Like there are genuinely just some coincidences sometimes, but um, Mm -hmm. it's been a really fun thing to follow. Like I said, this is supposedly the trailer app thing. That's going to be on the PS five. We'll reveal this the the day after we're we're recording. So I don't want to like harp on it for too long, but it's been a really fun, fascinating ride to watch this all uh, unfold. And I guess, you know, with like E3 just wasn't exciting enough for people. So we have this. Um, But I I do want to move on because I do want to talk a little bit uh, about both the games that we've been playing because a few of us haven't been on for a little while uh, and also to get into a little bit about So tying into this, like, the fact that I think people are glomming onto this so much is the idea that, well, Sony hasn't been saying much, and so here's a potential PS5 exclusive that people want to see. There were rumors that were breaking earlier today before we were recording about the potential for uh, Ghost of Tsushima DLC, single-player DLC being revealed that a lot of people have been uh, hopping on as well. And Insomniac just put up some job uh, listings for a, a multiplayer project. And so, so much of what's happening right now is the, like, okay, what is going on with Sony? Because we got to this point where we saw so much of, you know, from that June reveal event of the PS5, we're now pretty much just waiting on the first party side for Horizon and God of War. Everything else is a mystery. Um, And we've been getting these little bits and pieces of, uh, you know, relationships that they're establishing with teams like Deviation Games, Haven Studios, and Firewalk. Like, we're, we're getting ideas of what's to come from Sony, but not, like, Immediately. These are, those are teams that are going to be working on games years from now.
5: Final fantasy seven remake. Integrate is the enhanced and expanded version of the award-winning final fantasy seven remake developed by square Enix for the PlayStation five. Integrate comes bundled with episode intermission, a brand new episode featuring Yuffie as the main character. The expanded game includes many graphical gameplay and system enhancements, such as improved textures, lighting and background environments that bring the visuals of the game to a whole new level. You now have the ability to switch between graphics mode to play in 4K or performance mode for the smoothest action at 60 frames per second. There's also a fully customizable photo mode so you can capture and share your adventures. If you've already purchased Final Fantasy VII Remake for PlayStation 4, good news, you can download a free PS5 enhancement update that includes all the next-gen visual and gameplay enhancements I just mentioned at no extra cost when playing on your PS5. Now, you may be wondering, what exactly is Episode Intermission? It's a brand new adventure in the world of Final Fantasy VII Remake, Integrade. You play as Wutai Ninja Yuffie as she infiltrates Midgar and conspires with Avalanche HQ to steal the ultimate materia from the Shinra Electric Power Company. Episode Intermission is part of the Integrade purchase for PS5, or it's available as a standalone purchase from the PlayStation Store after downloading the free PS5 enhancement update. Final Fantasy VII Remake Integrate and Episode Intermission are available now on PlayStation 5. Get Final Fantasy VII Remake Integrate today by going to sqex.link slash Um, And
6: so I want to talk a little bit, you know, with some of these games in mind, like the, the potential Ghost of Tsushima DLC, stuff like a, another Insomniac project, because they can they just seem to not be able to stop making games. They, the The speed at which they are able to put out some really awesome stuff is incredible. So I do want to sort of talk about, we are, I think, all sort of under the expectation that we will get a state of play soon. Um, this is not us operating under any... Insider information, Lucy, I know you were on GameScoop earlier this weekend. And Zach, you to keep well.
8: saying that I don't know yeah. anything. <laughs> this is not us
6: trying to be like, oh, yeah, while I was interviewing Herman, he happened to say, check out July 17th. But it was embedded in the background of his bookcase. We're not, we're not leading to any sort of conspiracy stuff there. But I think, like, the expectation is Sony needs to say something soon. And this quieter summer period before we get to Gamescom in August feels like a pretty good time to do so. Um, So I want to go over a little bit of the stuff that we hope we'll see and we expect we'll see. Uh, Zach, I'll actually start with you uh, just to kind of go backward from the last order. Um, What are things that you really, really hope we'll see whenever Sony decides to to do its next state of play its PS5 showcase, whatever they call it these days? What what are things you really, really hope we get to see?
9: Uh, I mean... I would love to see Ghost of Tsushima DLC. Um, that's not something that I'd ever actually really considered. But um, if, if they were to do single player DLC, I love that game. It's the only I mean, I know this is sacrilegious to say it on a PlayStation show, but it's the only platinum that I've ever gotten. Like, I, I, I love this game so much and I'm I'd love just happy to you have a plat- yeah, thank you, Jonathan. I, yes. You've always been so supportive of me and my endeavors. <laughs> um, I, I think that, uh, you know, if they were to do single player DLC, I would be there for it day one for sure. Um, I don't, you know, it's, it's just a shame that none of the four of us on this show have anyone we know at Sucker Punch that we can contact and ask about this kind of thing, but maybe one day. Um, Absolutely. But in terms of like what kind of new announcements I would like to see, I was thinking about this last night. And I think that a lot of the, outside of the Sony first party stuff, you know, Horizon, God of War, Last of Us, you know, stuff like that. Um, I, I think that a lot of the stuff that I came to PlayStation for as a kid, a lot of the franchises that I so closely associated with PlayStation, like Resident Evil or Final Fantasy or, you know, something along those lines have gone multi-platform, right? Those publishers have taken their games to to Microsoft and, and Sony. And um, so when I'm thinking about like what kind of Sony announcement would I want to see, um, I would love to see a spiritual successor to something that like, sony japan studios had done previously like something like a spiritual successor to what the the team behind Ico and shadow of the colossus had done right like i would love to see something in that vein that is more of a i don't know an art school approach to to, uh, these big triple a video games that i feel like we've been not necessarily missing but this is the kind of stuff that like would really really get me pumped to see as an announcement because i think um you know since this team's uh uh since this team was dissolved and you know we know that sony uh, japan studios has uh, had their recent turmoils and stuff like that as well um you know maybe just the astrobot team is working on something right now but i'd love to see something more akin to these kind of these classics
6: yeah there's definitely a lineage there that i like i obviously we've talked about it a lot i love the astrobot games i think they're phenomenal and they're they're huge love letters to history but you're right they they're obviously not this like as you said i think you really hit it like this art school approach um that uh we see from some stuff like that or even for me like personally the uh team siren uh, gravity rush games were awesome and and in a sort of style of thing we just don't get to see that much mm-hmm. um and i'd i'd really love to see stuff in that vein you're totally right that's Exclusive and plays into PlayStation Legacy, even if it's not maybe from a first party at this point anymore. Yeah, um, L- Lucy, what about you? What What are you hoping to see? What do you What do you really want to show up at a potential?
8: I mean, I think that we will see. You know, we'll see Death Stranding uh, director's cut for sure. Like realistically. Um, but what I what I would like, honestly, is a, a sort of more fully rounded uh state of play, more akin to Microsoft's uh E3 showcase, uh where it's just basically like, this is a bunch of the cool stuff that we're working on. Um, you know, with a with a with a great sort of a sense of hype behind it, with the with the one last big game at the end. I kinda like I'm at the point now with Sony where I, I really appreciate the very sort of focused state of plays that you know do deep dives on a single game but i you know we know about horizon we know that god of war is coming we know that there will be a dedicated god of war state of play what i would like is just something that's a little bit more broad uh that is like here's a bunch of stuff that you don't know about that we've got in the works we're not going to necessarily i mean look at the you know outer wilds 2 uh wait have i have I used the right name? Yeah, no, you game. got it wrong. It's Outer Worlds. Outer, Outer Worlds 2 uh, trailer. You know, there doesn't necessarily need to be a massive deep dive on on any of these properties. We just kind of want to know that they're in the works. And we know that PlayStation has a bunch of, like, games, uh, you know, 25 games, uh, half of which are new IP that was announced in May. Uh, there's a lot in the bank. I would like to know about it handy teasers. I just want to be excited. You know, I feel like Microsoft and Nintendo got to, like, eat quite well last week.
6: Mm-hmm.
4: And
8: I would really like, uh, as a Sony fan, to, you know, have something similar.
6: That was, um, that actually brings
8: up a really interesting point that I think, uh,
6: Brian, you had mentioned this a lot before the reveal of the the PS5 and everything. Like, during those showcases, this, like, early period is a really great time to have those teaser trailers because it's almost like a little more permitted like four or five years down the line of the ps5 you kind of need gameplay to show us something really captivating but like right now we're still just so excited for new ideas new franchises new ips and whatnot that Mm. seeing like you were saying, Lucy, the Outer Worlds trailer. It's really funny. They don't have the game yet. Which I call I mean, the Outer Wilds because I will forever get
8: those mixed up. The, mm-hmm.
6: the Outer Lands trailer was really cool. It's outside it, Lands, which outs, is... Excuse me. Yes. Right. Um, <laughs> it's Inside Out, the hit Pixar film. Um, <laughs> but no, it's, it, this is the time where that stuff is okay. And Lucy, you're totally right. With like 25 games in the works, let's see at least five of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh i'm i'm really excited to see what that potential library could end up being but but brian what about for you what are you what are you really hoping we see?
7: so i'm gonna devil's advocate a little bit and just say that we i i would say playstation fans or at least ps5 owners ate pretty well during e3 because we got a AAA a first party game launched the friday of e3 that got amazing reviews um it's exclusive it's from insomniac it's you know and it's 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 fantastic we also had uh the horizon state of play recently just before that we got that sort of disappointing update on god of war so we got like we got a we got a big new game to play which microsoft owners or xbox owners didn't really get nintendo owners didn't really get um and we got uh some we got some updates on some stuff that's coming and so i to me that's like i know they have a bunch of irons in the fire i don't really want them to like Put out something that's like small and sort of like you know doesn't really pertain to like the whole library. I I like Lucy's idea of getting this sort of just like small you know kind of rapid fire smattering of different things that they're working on that would be awesome because i think that's a really great way to collate a bunch of like uh, tiny games and and big games at the same time um those are always my favorite kind of e3s and i think like say to play has occasionally reached those levels where they'll go hey we have we have these three or four things and then these two or three big things which i i kind of dig but i don't want them to like feel like they have to rush something out this month or next month um because i i i think that like they're selling every system that they put out the the games they're putting out are doing are are are, look fantastic you know ration and clank is awesome it's one of my favorite games of the year i want them to be able to you know get more ps5s in more people's hands and uh like rather than you know figure out how to like win win e3 a month later or anything like that just kind of take their time until they're ready to talk i don't really know if we're ever going to get like another sort of 60 minute presentation from sony that's just like which bums me out because I love that stuff, right? Like that—that that was a blast. That was a blast at E3 from from both, you know, Nintendo and Microsoft. But I don't know if they're, if that's like in the cards for them anymore. I feel like they will just like, they'll they'll talk when they're ready and when they have a couple of things to show, they'll glue glue them together and show them. Um, and until then, you know, get PlayStation fives out, let people play them and put put more games like ratchet out for us you know to actually because ratchet's a game that you can you can buy and play right now whereas like a lot of the stuff in the xbox conference is like you know theoretically i don't know when i'm gonna be playing some of those things so um same with you know the uh, nintendo you know sort of tail-ended their thing with breath of the wild too which like doesn't even really have a release date right now and so i'll take i'll take games that you know i i can play right now versus stuff that i'm not gonna be able to see for years and years. Mm-hmm.
6: For sure. I think I'd, I'd say that like, to to like compare the two, I feel like we've, while everyone has been really excited on the Xbox and Nintendo side, not that there haven't been, you know, great Switch games over the last few years, but like the last maybe three or four months, PlayStation has been getting the, the really big games and everyone else has been getting the big announcements. I think where I'm coming from, at least in terms of like what I want is I think back to that like March state of play, I want to say it was where like, we sort of got this strange update of a couple games coming out in the next few months, but not a ton. And it was cool to see like Sifu was revealed there, and that seemed really cool. And we got the FF7 Remake DLC announcement there, and, mm-hmm. or, or footage and stuff. And I, I think it's great to see that stuff. I just feel like we need a bit more of a check-in of things of that nature, because right now it is we know Horizon is tentatively scheduled for holiday and God of War and Gran Turismo are next year. But other than that, like the what the PlayStation ecosystem looks like in the months to come is, you know, there are six awesome indie games that got announced for PS5 in those two showcases last year. Give us a stray update. Give us an update on uh, even something like Goodbye Volcano High, which looked really cool and endearing. Like there, there was stuff last year that we just haven't really heard from. Granted, indie devs like work on the schedules that work for you. Obviously, don't rush. But I feel like PlayStation could say here's what we've got in store for the, like a small slice of what we have in store for the next six months. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, even something like Kena is coming out in August. Hasn't really been prominently at a PlayStation thing since that state of play in March.
8: Yeah, um, I agree, Donna. And that's what I, you know, I was on next gen console watch and then I was on game Scoop saying The exact same thing Because, like, you know, they're like, oh, what do you feel? How do you feel as a PlayStation? owner? Like you know, <laughs> Nintendo and Microsoft did so well. well yeah, I'm I sorry. Is- Who, who's asking you that way? Because that, was, was that was very insidious was that uh, that was Damon was
9: both times asking oh, Lucy. <laughs> yeah Lucy yeah a <laughs> yeah.
8: Yeah. classic Damon stature Damon <laughs> um no he wasn't he wasn't hissing in my <laughs> ear like that but you know he he was he was asking in a very reasonable manner um but but you know it 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 i i have to be honest it's it's difficult when you're sort of looking at um the transparency and the, well, you know, the, the sort of the hype that has been building with Microsoft and Nintendo over the, uh, event season and, you know, sort of silence from Sony. Uh, and I don't think it takes much, you know, which is what I said all along. I just think it needs a little bit more communication. Just a mm-hmm. bit more communication uh, goes a long way. I don't think anyone is ravenous for, you know, massive 60 minute deep dives. Well, I mean, maybe, but, uh, we, we don't necessarily need that to be stated, right? It's just, uh, it's just a sort of an acknowledgement that Sony sees its fans, uh, that the PlayStation five is still a machine that, that is going to get some great games on it. Uh, and just to, you know, just a, a little update here and there would be really, I mean, the, the thing is
7: it, this is like the PS five is like the fat, it's like the fastest selling console that they've ever mm-hmm. made right now. Right. Like, and they're yeah. like, so I, like, I, I'm. I'm. I totally understand what you guys are saying, but I also feel like they're, they're probably sitting there going, "We don't need to do anything." Like, yeah, we're for good. sure. That's that know? from we're, a we're business. every standpoint. system we put out, but
8: yeah. I, I, I a mean, I, standpoint.
7: it's for us. It's fun. It's definitely fun, and I would love to see more. Yeah. Um. But it's also, I don't know, like it. It just feels. It. It feels like a lot of this conversation is happening sort of like on Twitter and on social media and stuff like that. And it's a lot of like, you know, Microsoft is like owning Twitter, and Sony isn't. And it's like, so what? like that's that's a bad website i hate it like i use it all the time but it's bad but like i feel like if they're selling every system they make and they're putting out games that are selling well then like they just they really just need to figure out how to make more consoles like that's that's their biggest issue in the world right now i mean it's and it's not even really their issue particularly
9: i i think that um i think playstation is really is in a really unique position because playstation at this point like if especially when you're talking about the IGN audience, right? Like PlayStation at this point has surpassed a level of needing to subscribe to those uh, traditional media beats, right? They're at a point where, like like Rockstar Games doesn't need to attend E3 because they'll show you whatever they've got when they're damn good and ready. And I think PlayStation mm-hmm. is in a similar boat. And I think it's a, it's a smart move on their part because look at a lot of the conversation coming out of E3 this year, right? How many tweets did you see about Square and Capcom and... Uh, take two and you know, all these other things that had these, these outlets or these corporations that had these presentations. And then people were like, Hey, if you don't have anything to show off, don't show anything, don't have a presentation. If you're not going to show us something like Capcom resident evil eight is my game of the year thus far and Capcom showing a, a PowerPoint slide. That's like, by the way. We're gonna start that game that you guys like so much. Who knew you would have loved it to this extent? Like, you know, like that's that's fine. I understand where they're coming from, but as you can see, here's the PlayStation Five. Um, but
4: mm-hmm.
9: PlayStation specifically is in a place where they don't need to show off anything unless unless they're ready to show stuff off. Because what's gonna happen is they're going to show that stuff, and people are gonna lose their minds. And they have the oh, biggest sure. install base, and it's gonna sell. You know, like they're. I, I think that they're in a great position right now the only thing the only other thing that i thought of about um you know sort of our dream pitch for the next uh not direct uh state of play <laughs> um i i think that the only way that sony could bolster the conversation and uh, really really help combat what the conversation is about them versus microsoft at this point is to finally reveal whatever they're going to do to be competitive against game pass like whatever they've got in the works that will challenge game pass uh, that reveal will help like you're saying brian like turn that tide on twitter where people are saying like oh Twitter's talking about only microsoft all they have to do is turn flip that switch and show us what they're working on there and it would be a, a sea change i think
6: mm-hmm. the, that because they have talked a little bit about what their competitor is but i do like just mm-hmm. to sort of throw it back at you i guess because i've thought about that a lot too. of like i feel like generally the conversation is often look what microsoft is doing for players for putting Mm -hmm. games on game pass for getting people access to these games, regardless of the box they own and things like that. But along the the same lines of like PlayStation doesn't have to say something until they feel like it because of how well they're selling. I think they'll have a game pass equivalent at some point, but are they also in a rush to show that off? Because Mm -hmm. they like, other than the mind share sort of thing on social media, they are still like, they are still selling games like crazy. You know, like mm-hmm. Ratchet probably sold very well, Returnal sold well. Um these are things that they don't need to put on Game Pass. Whereas like at least at the start of things, like obviously like I, I think the the tide has shifted no pun intended, but like people are really, really excited about Sea of Thieves. But Sea of Thieves was really helped by being on Game Pass and letting millions of people get mm-hmm. to play it instantly. Right. Um I think like pretty famously you know, we didn't give Crackdown 3 a great score, but so many people played Crackdown 3. A lot of places didn't give it a great score, but Crackdown 3, a lot of people are like, well, I just pick it up on Game Pass and it's fine. I didn't pay $60 for it. It's just mm-hmm. part of my subscription. But PlayStation shows people Ratchet & Clank and people are going to go buy Ratchet & Clank right
3: now. Right.
6: Um, and so I, I just don't know when we're going to see that equivalent. Like, I, right. I genuinely don't know if that is a a near-term thing or if that's like a two or three years down the line, if and when we start to see sales level out, you know?
7: Yeah, uh-huh. that's also. I mean, it's. I I would argue that that would currently cannibalize this, the sales of their you know their pitch of you will spend seventy dollars for high quality games. Like the way I've been describing it to people um, is that Game Pass kind of feels like Netflix, and PlayStation Five feels like like IMAX, where it's like four or five times a year you you spend the extra money and you get this like kind of amazing experience. But Netflix is like what I go to you know most evenings to see what's on there and it's like you know animal dating shows or whatever like, it's <laughs> like <laughs> gross it's weird stuff like yeah you know, i'm not like i'm watching those things no no uh, you know problem with people that do You're but I'm gonna. gonna It it also if you know when I pay for Netflix, I feel I'm like, am I kickstarting the next TLC? Like, what is this? Um, Mm -hmm. But no, it's a. It it definitely feels like there's, and that's not to say that Microsoft doesn't have a ton of high quality games because they definitely do. And I think the fact that like they're taking games like Forza and Halo and putting them directly to Game Pass is awesome. And I know people will probably buy them anyway because some people do that. But if Sony can top NPD with Ratchet for 70 bucks and Returnal and they can get those games up up there, then I don't really know if they're in a rush. Like we've said this for years, but I think what they really need to do is change the branding on PlayStation Now. They have something in their back pocket that's already kind of there that can compete with it. They got to ring that bell a little louder. Um, If you look at some of the most popular games on PlayStation Now, like they're big, awesome games. But I, I don't think that the average consumer knows as much about it, or at least they don't on you know modern social media, because we just hear about Game Pass every single day. But there are so many awesome things on Now that they just don't surface as well because that service is sort of secondary to PS Plus.
8: And, and I, I mean, think we Now still it also has to stop, like yeah. step up its game. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Like I, I think that you know the infrastructure is there, but uh, if it's going to compete with Game Pass, which at this point. You know we don't know yet because we haven't seen that sea change but everything points towards uh game pass being like the best value for your buck right now in in gaming um that's a competitive stance to take and if you're going to compete with that and you've already got the infrastructure which Sony does it just needs to be better <laughs> it just yeah. needs to be better we need to see like new games coming in on playstation now day one
6: yeah, and and now still, as far as I know, at least like the last time I checked in, I don't think it's changed in the last week or two, but there aren't PlayStation 5 games on there even yet. Um, so mm-hmm. we're still waiting for, for the, the latest gen of releases. But yeah, like going back to what's been said, I, I totally agree. I think like the, the Game Pass narrative is definitely shifting and changing, and I think PlayStation will have to respond to it at some point. But yeah, it's this fascinating thing where as you were saying Brian like they are really trying to make that you will spend 70 bucks for this thing and you know we're still waiting on the MPD for Ratchet and Clank I believe but I'm sure it was near the top if not pretty high up Returnal was in the top 10 uh, as a completely new franchise on one of the least available systems around like they they are doing
7: amazing for yes. 70 dollar you know bleak sci-fi and endlessly killing you game like that's <laughs> that's not really one of those things you'd associate but i mean i think that's it just that's an awesome game so i'm it's well deserved
8: and and then yeah. like honestly i i believe you know I, i'll say it outright like i believe well, for me personally like playstation makes the games i want to play over right. xbox right like right. the first party studios games on playstation those are that's for me right yeah. and like xbox has especially now with the bethesda acquisition has a lot more but like right. still when i think about it I want to play first party studios games, what, um, what PlayStation needs to do. And this is not, this is not me like saying, Oh, Xbox is, is just killing it and crushing it. But I think Xbox is playing a different game and then making some really mm-hmm. smart moves that Sony needs to like address in order to keep up because like it, the, the games will only take them so far as the, as the the sort of, you know the industry changes and as uh the, the competition changes mm. um and that's what i want to see from sony because i believe that the games are always going to be like top quality <laughs> you know that's that's how i feel whereas with xbox it's, it's more of a mixed bag
9: well um, i think it's i think it's really interesting like uh, sorry to interrupt you
8: no 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 go ahead yeah
9: um, I, I think it, i think what's really interesting about the disparity between PlayStation first-party studios and Xbox first-party studios is the establishment of what a first-party studio means in respect to each of those com- those companies, right? Like I've not been an Xbox guy; uh, I've always been a PlayStation and Nintendo guy. But this is the mm-hmm. first this is the first generation that I have a an Xbox, and I've been playing a lot of stuff on Series X, third-party stuff specifically because I just I'm just really liking playing games there right now. However, when I think of what each company has to offer when i think of sony i think of first party studios like naughty dog like sucker punch right like these studios that ha- have made themselves synonymous with the playstation brand and i don't think that i don't think that xbox has studios that have that same sort of correlation right like i definitely think like like you're you're talking about Bethesda as part of their acquisition, and yeah, for sure, that's a huge get, but that still doesn't feel like an Xbox studio to me. You know, it like even like Playground. But it will I, serve. And that's, that's the thing. and that's what I'm that's what I'm getting to, is yeah. like, you know, even like a, a studio like Playground making Horizon and Fable, like that doesn't they make games for Xbox, but I don't think of them synonymously as like an Xbox studio in the same way that I do. But that's the other part of this is that that narrative is going to change, soon, mm-hmm. right? Because they, mm-hmm. because of the fact that they've bolstered, you know, adding Obsidian, adding Ninja Theory, like all of these games, making games that are exclusive to Xbox. I think we will see that, that, that kind of sentiment, that kind of conversation change.
6: I think part of that too, something that you were just saying there that really came to mind for me is like, as someone who has owned since the original Xbox and like 360 was, I owned a 360 for years before I had a PS3 that generation. Like
9: mm-hmm.
6: I associate... A, a few like a few franchises with Xboxes, xbox's output but not halo necessarily and gears right halo right. And gears but th- those also changed hands it's like right you know bungie and then it went to 343 for, 3 for halo and 343 mm-hmm. 3 has had the coalition
9: like, for gears exactly
6: and and 343 uh. has had ups and downs with halo where some of the mm-hmm. multiplayer worked really well people didn't love the halo 5's campaign <laughs> um like Fable was obviously Lionhead's thing and people love Playground, but Playground hasn't made a Fable yet. And so mm-hmm. like they are very talented teams, but the the franchises that all of them are associated with are really coming into their own. I think more now for those studios. Um, yeah. Obviously not to like disparage any of the work that's been done by any of them, but just like, mm-hmm. I, I think to your point of, I don't associate 343 as
9: a Xbox studio. I associate Halo as an Xbox brand. Brand, right. And, right. And, well, and like, just to play devil's advocate to that, like, obviously the four of us have been in the PlayStation. We've had the PlayStation passion for so long. Xbox fans might be listening to this conversation and being like, you guys are crazy. Of course those are Xbox studios. You know what I mean? Of course, yeah. yeah. yeah.
6: Mm-hmm. Well, no, I mean, like, I, I totally think it's fair to say that, especially through the Xbox One generation, which was a, mm-hmm. you know, tumultuous generation for them. I think especially the fans that stuck with them. Like, I played uh, Halo 1, 2, and 3 are probably some of my most played games of all time. Mm -hmm. but you know i kind of jumped ship when it came to halo 4 and halo 5 and i just i i went away from them but there very possibly are people who have this very fond affection for 343 as a brand you're totally right that just may be there and it's just not something we're as cognitively Mm -hmm. like close to but just to say like at least in terms of the general like mainstream conversation of it all i feel like we talk about xbox and halo and gears and forza whereas we do talk about playstation with the last of us and and Soccer and, and goes to tsushima but we also talk about playstation with sucker punch and Soniac, Dog. And Lady and Dog. It, yeah. it, it feels like the teams have that prominence and i think xbox is getting there and mm-hmm. once they do we're going to have a lot of interesting you know back and forth discussions on that stuff
7: yeah i mean if you if you look at these two companies racing i don't know i mean i don't know if nintendo's like in the race there they've had the best-selling console for 30 months in a row yeah so, like yeah they they're, they're, they're we're all over here, being like, "What should these guys do?" And Nintendo's just like, "Wahoo!" Like, so it's, that's the funniest You'll thing
6: about it. You'll buy Mario Kart Eight Deluxe again. Yeah,
7: but if it's you know, if you think about it, like two people racing, which is a very like a, a children's idiot metaphor, but <laughs> PlayStation has been miles ahead for a very long time now. Uh, you know, Microsoft wasn't even reporting sales numbers for their consoles for all of last generation because things were so tepid for a long time. Mm. Um, and they had some great decisions, they had some great games, and some, some powerful hardware, but they they did not. Report port sales like period and that's very different than what they were doing the generation before and the generation before that uh and so I, it's sort of like microsoft is making all of these moves right now to catch up because they have to and i'm mm-hmm. not sure how much of the race sony needs to spend looking backwards or looking mm-hmm. to the right instead of just like running forward and seeing what's working like obviously there's a detriment to only focusing on what you're doing and assuming it'll keep working forever, right? That's sort of the definition of insanity. But also like I don't know if we should be giving Sony like so much shit that they need to be doing all the things that Microsoft is doing because Microsoft is only doing those things to get to a fraction of the level that Sony's already been at for a long time. And I'm Good just point. I'm not just talking about quality of games and output and stuff like that. I'm talking like specifically just about numbers. Like at the end of the day, if you're selling a bunch of things and you're Third-party games are selling better on PlayStation and, you know, uh, first-party games are hitting higher Metacritics by and large. Um, And I I tweeted recently about how much I've been playing my Series X more than my PS5. I love it. And I got a bunch of, you know, shit from PlayStation fans. And, like, that's, you know, part of it is every three days somebody will call one of us a fanboy for the opposite reason than they did three days before that. That's fine. Who cares? We're all, you know, distance learning will end soon. Kids will go back to school. They won't be on their computers as much. I
6: think just to just quickly to make it clear, because this is something that comes up obviously in the comments every week. And we always have to talk about, we all own all of the systems. I think it's fair to say, and obviously feel free to tell me if you all disagree, I want both companies to be doing well, because it only forces both companies to then play a better game and to try harder and to compete. Like at the end of the Mm -hmm. day, I want reasons to go to my Xbox, and I'm glad that they are on the way. Like, I, as someone who really played my 360 a ton, never touched my Xbox One, even though I had one. I'm so happy that Forza Horizon 5 looks amazing. Halo Infinite looks really rad. Like, Psychonauts 2 is out in a few months, and even though it's multi platform, like, mm-hmm. coming from Double Find and all this stuff, I'm so happy that they have all this stuff on the way because I do think it is going to push PlayStation. But I, I do agree with you, Brian. Like, PlayStation right now, I totally think is in the mindset of we don't need to one to one compete with them while we're still ahead. Mm-hmm.
8: But um, uh, okay, I'm just going to say one more thing. Yes, and I hate myself for doing this because I do it like in personal relationships, and I'm like, I just have one more thing to say, and it's like, no, <laughs> just leave it alone. Um, do it, do it. But no, this no. has been
6: a great conversation. I love this conversation. I'm <laughs>
7: just talking you? to you guys.
8: um i i I agree to a point i think that you know there has to be an understanding that what xbox is doing is extraordinarily consumer friendly extraordinarily Mm. consumer forward, right and i think that there is something to be said there's something really powerful about that you know i think that we're going to get to a point where uh things are coming out on gay part uh gay pass that's, that's what i have um game Pass day one and you know you're, like playstation is asking sort of 70 70 bucks a game right and it's just like mm. you, 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 there's gonna get to a point where that's gonna reach critical mass i believe um mm. and i think that playstation does need to be more competitive and i want them to be more competitive because i love mm. playstation right and and so i don't think I think sitting on your laurels only gets you so far um mm. and as much as I believe in the quality of playstation like first party games i can't I, I I am astounded at how far they've come in the last like five, six, seven years um I think that there does need to be a degree of competition there does yeah. need to be a degree of like, okay, I see what the competition is doing that is a smart move we need to start thinking about what we're going to do to offer that to our fan base Mm -hmm.
9: you you mentioned earlier you know they talked about the number of new games they have the number of you know uh new games they have in their on their slate and how many of those are are new ip and that is going to be the thing that that i think takes them to the upper echelon right like those those new ip the, the the ability for playstation to crank out so many franchises from their first-party studios, new yeah. and established. I think is is yeah, that's going to be huge for them. So
6: and yeah, and no, just to go, sorry, Brian, you go ahead.
7: I was just going to say really quick. I think one of the most important things you said, Lucy, was the the sort of like the consumer-friendly aspect of it. I I do think that like that the, the, those are very sort of diametrically opposed philosophies: is to sell a seventy-dollar game versus selling you know a fifteen-dollar, twelve-dollar, or whatever, eight-dollar, ten-dollar, one-dollar if you get that deal a month of sort of like hundreds of different games. Um, I think that the thing I do want them to rip off from Microsoft was that like kind of announcement that they put out a few days before E3, which was, Hey, like we're moving towards a future where we are not just uh, sort of codependent on, The traditional model of a box Mm -hmm. to play video games we want to put um our streaming services we want to put our games onto smart tvs phones computers and stuff like that i think that'd be awesome because like that's the kind of thing where it's like i'll buy a playstation 6 but if i can also access all of those games via a cloud on a laptop on a work trip or uh, you know, on a smart TV in a different room, like, or I can tell my friends about games, but I don't have to tell them you have to, you know, spend six months on stock X fighting scalpers for this $600, $500 console. Like you can just buy the games. I think that's like a big, that's a big barrier for entry that I think that we can, we can chop down a little bit. And that's what I'd love to see, because that means that is ultimately to me, removing the walls between uh, the, consumers and the amazing stories being told by game developers right now. And Sony has tons of those. And if I can tell, you know, my dentist in a few years, I had, I had, I had a new, I met, I. Sorry new dentist yesterday. And I was there for like an hour and a half because we were talking about video games, which is amazing. And I haven't talked to like a stranger about video games in years. So it's great. Um, but I, he was like sort of asking me, which console would you get right now? And we had this long conversation. And I was thinking about just how cool it would be to sort of be like, hey, what if you didn't have to have like a conversation with your wife about which $500 box you had a hunt down. What if you didn't have to follow Wario 64 as like a 40-something year old dentist to figure out how to get a game console? You could just like download an app on your smart TV and play The Last of Us Three. Like yeah. that's that's super cool. And I hope that's where they're heading. And I think they will get there for sure.
9: Can I ask you this conversation that you had with your dentist? Um was it while he was working on your teeth? Did he just have his hands like, and
7: appliances yeah. in your mouth? And you're just, I don't know the <laughs> a lot of pauses and a lot of thumbs up and thumbs down. You know?
8: <laughs> but in the meantime, you were having like this existential th- like yeah. thought process. <laughs> it, was, it,
7: was it was super super awesome. Yeah,
6: you're saying the game is called Toast of Tsushima. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. um, I, I just quickly, sort of wrap up because I totally agree with you. I think like the. We talk about accessibility a lot on the show. We just had uh, Steve Saylor on for a Russian & Clank discussion talking about, you know, accessibility within that game, but just purely accessibility to games and being able to play a game as where you find it to be available is, I think, going to be a huge sea change thing that will affect a lot of the choices people make um but just to go back a little bit to something you had said zach and then we'll sort of wrap up this part of the show but uh something you had said that i I do think is worth talking about whenever playstation has a sort of showcase you were mentioning you know like square show and capcom show that people felt like and we, we said on the show didn't really need to happen there were really big absences from those shows and it does feel like playstation kinda had the right of first refusal for things like Final Fantasy 16, which wasn't mm-hmm. there, for uh First Spoken, which wasn't 93 for mm-hmm. Pragmata, which is the like one of the few officially announced Calcom games right. we know is on the way. PlayStation has this mind share with third parties as well, where they are going to try to, you know, get console exclusives. We saw that with now a Microsoft owned mm-hmm. studio with Death with studios with Death Loop mm-hmm. and Ghostwire Tokyo. Hey, Brian. Um, and so, you know, we we saw these games available on uh, a couple Brian, the, the formerly uh, PlayStation exclusively produced yeah. <laughs> uh, Bethesda and game. But you no, know, we, we saw all these games uh, that PlayStation is clearly trying to double down on the idea of like you come to PlayStation for exclusive experiences. I do all that's, I think, part of the impetus for me of like why I think we'll see a showcase from them soon is like those were really, really big games just no one said a word about it
7: right right Uh, right um, that's
6: a fair point But yeah yeah. obviously we are we are in one of these holding patterns and it's the thing we talked about a lot last year of like playstation silence can be deafening but it's a silence that they are choosing because they know when they speak up everyone's gonna listen i think brian you were saying like they they can shut up for months and then get you know quadruple the audience that any show during e3 did
9: i also think that we're we're kind of considering 2021 to be a slower playstation year but if we get to the end of the year and we've got returnal and ratchet and clank and horizon zero dawn and a bevy of like awesome indies and third-party games that's a pretty solid lineup still and like what is 2022 and 2023 gonna look like for this box? Cause I, I'd be willing to put money on it that it's their bangers. like. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm.
8: And, and, I think Horizon's gonna be delayed, I'm just saying uh,
9: it. Yeah, I don't know, I feel, I feel like it's, I feel pretty confident that it won't, but. Well, well we talked about taking bets on games well, again, so we'll, we'll have, have to,
8: have to figure it out. Lucy's
6: not a betting woman, so.
7: I'm not a betting
8: woman, but yeah, she I'm is willing gonna bet to yeah. be flexible right when it comes Did you guys start that?
7: like a ga- like a gambling ring over like the post yeah. e3 is great okay cool yeah, sure yeah. why not yeah,
8: yeah 100 all... the stakes are low <laughs> i mean mo- <laughs> we most people ran through,
7: a- we ran through a bunch of different vices during covid so i mean yeah. we'll throw yeah, gambling right. and to-
6: <laughs> i only go for a trading places style like that. that's <laughs> the only way mm-hmm. I, I tend to bet um i saw that movie when i was way too young and it stuck with me forever since called um, out the court of blood technique Oh, yeah. Uh, Whenever we get PlayStation news, we'll of course be covering it here on Podcast Beyond. But in addition to the news we hope we'll see, we've had games that we have actually seen and been playing and are playing a lot of stuff and uh there's a a lot of releases both recent and maybe a little bit older that i i know we all want to uh talk about so zach i'll start with you mm-hmm. uh as our, as our guest of honor this week uh what have you been playing recently that you've been really
9: enjoying uh yeah i've been i've been uh slowly uh bouncing between a few different things um ratchet and clank first and foremost uh man i i don't think i've ever seen a game that looks like this game like it looks amazing. And every time I think I've seen something that I'm like, wow, there's nothing that this game can show me. That'll be better than this area or this action set piece or whatever. It does something even crazier. Like it, it really looks amazing. Um, and it's fun to play and has like a really endearing story. Like I have played a handful of ratchet and clank games. And I feel like for the most part, I, you know, roll credits and I think, okay, that was a nice game. Like I had fun playing it. I don't, you know, like I've never really been super invested in the story. This one, different, different kind of mm-hmm. you know, like really loving the story and just having a good time with that. Um, I also played the Final Fantasy VII DLC, which I didn't love. Um, I know okay. we, I know we scored it very highly. Um, uh, people, people all, all online seem to really be loving it. Um, it didn't, it didn't do a lot for me. I thought the combat was really cool. It feels kind of like a platinum game, um, but the the story itself, the length, the um, where it ends up like the last you know the the final cutscenes and stuff set definitely set up more stuff for the the sequel but we still don't know when that's coming and so it just kind of i you know i thought it was like uh i thought it was fine you know i didn't love it i
6: beat it over the weekend and as as someone who hasn't played any final fantasy like the the original Mm -hmm. um i i i kind of agree with you i had really fun Mm-hmm. a fun time with individual aspects of it mm-hmm. but as a whole package it is very disjointed
9: yeah um like fort condor, i loved oh, fort condor yeah. whips ass though <laughs> Fort condor yeah. is
6: incredible i said this last week but like yeah. put that on mobile or make it a downloadable game i will happily spend yeah. too much in microtransactions on absolutely that. yeah uh fort condor is awesome i liked the story teasers toward the end as someone who doesn't know where things go mm-hmm. but it felt very like ham-fisted in there it almost Mm -hmm. felt like scenes either they didn't finish in time for the original release or like oh maybe it'll be good to have these before we get to part two right um it didn't really need to be there for this dlc Mm -hmm. um but yeah like you said like yuvi's combat is really cool it it is very much more action heavy and and a little bit on that platinum side totally right but yeah Yeah. it's an odd package of Mm -hmm. an episode
9: yeah Um, and it's also you know it's pretty short like I, a completionist run will probably take you ten to fifteen hours, but like just to play it front to back is about three and a half to four. Like I blew through it pretty quickly, uh, and then I went back and played like a bunch of Fort Condor and stuff. But um, you know, I, I I thought it was fine. I was a little disappointed to be honest, and and I really loved the base Final Fantasy VII game, so maybe I'll go back and play in, integrate Now that I have it, um,
6: yeah, yeah. And it, then the other maybe want to go back. Yeah,
9: yeah. And then the other thing that I've been playing, also, yeah, like, this, this stuff at the end, like you're seeing here, um, it's, it's, like, real deep-cut Final Fantasy VII lore. Like, this, these characters are from Dirge of Cerberus, which was a game on PlayStation oh, 2 that, like, okay. 40 people played. Like, you know, like it, it's really deep-cut stuff. But um, and then the other thing that I've been playing is Mass Effect. I'm about halfway through Mass Effect 3. Um, Freaking love those games. And I love those games before I played uh the, the uh legacy collection. Um if that's what it's called, legendary edition. I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. Um but uh I I played Mass Effect in a really weird way. I I borrowed an Xbox to play the original one. I played Mass Effect two on PlayStation and then like years later, I don't know why, but years later I I bought a Wii uh Wii U secondhand and it came with a bunch of games and one of them was Mass Effect three so I played that there which was not the right choice and you know when you're playing those games on disparate consoles your progress doesn't carry over the choices you make don't you know don't carry over and um playing it all in one go playing it all in one sitting it just feels like several seasons of this awesome sci-fi show and you know the 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 choices that you make in one totally pay off in three and you run into characters where you're like I remember this person i helped them do this thing and like that's Mm. such a rewarding feeling and i think that there are so many things that that playing it now especially we're so far ahead of its time and you see its influence in modern games Um, but then it's also it's also really funny to play this collection and see its shortcomings because like man the quest journal sucks so much like it's so old and just like, like i'm so surprised that they didn't try and improve that at all and you know like all the stuff with the Mako is still really bad in the first game. And um, so, they, you know, it's a, it's a mixed package. But if you haven't played those games, man, it, they're really something else to go back to. I know, Brian, I know you had started playing the original Mass Effect and yeah. didn't seem super hot on it. Did you stick with it or did you
7: hang it up? No, I'm going to skip right to two. I think yeah. I, like, I, I got about f- maybe 10 hours into the first one and was just kind of like, you know what? I'm good here. Like it's just I. I feel it, like they 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 put a lot of very uh,
9: 2007.
7: For sure. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Which is interesting because I I I go back and play old games a lot. Um, mm-hmm. and I don't usually have a problem with it. But I think this one particularly just something just do- doesn't totally gel with me. Mm-hmm. Um, the character models are super funny. Like they're the way they're, running, <laughs> yeah. they're just kind of like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they got this. Like, the, their eyes all look like they like they painted them on. Like it's just there's all this like really like it's a really pretty. They put a lot of really pretty paint on something that's like very um kind of old and and stilted but well, there's um,
9: still a lot of weird graphical technical stuff that's happening in this totally. collection as well where like characters will just pop into a different position or like a cut scene will kind of skip weird like it, it's it's strange but
7: yeah i but. had like quest points like pop up at, like 10 minutes later than they were supposed to like you Mm -hmm. had to like basically like trigger them into the environment by just like running they're just like weird little hiccups and stuff like that which again i don't really mind like i said i I, i'll I'll go back and play old games a lot but i'm excited to jump into the second one because like from what i've heard i can kind of catch up on the first one so you know with uh, in five minutes or something that's
9: that's the thing that i've told like folks that haven't played this series is you can, the the second one, when you start the second one, it gives you the opportunity to like essentially play through a visual novel that's not long. Like it doesn't take very long to get through it, but it essentially plays out like, um, like a motion comic book, like where it shows you the story of Mass Effect 1 and lets you make all of those choices that you would have made in the base game. So those choices actually do get imported. What you lose is like side quest stuff, you know, like characters that you meet over the course of your play, like that don't necessarily fit the overall narrative. Um, but you can totally make those choices and bring those choices into Mass Effect 2, which is like the leap between two and three is impressive, but the leap between one and two is staggering. Like it, it is a completely different feel I mean, to those. As years. I
8: said to you, Zach, like I don't even remember, cause I played one and two at the exact times they came out. Mm-hmm. So it was a long time ago. Right, yeah. Um, and I don't remember anything about one, mm-hmm. nothing. Yeah, right. I remember so much about two. And yes, I know that two was later, but it was also just such a profoundly better game, well, the, and the storylines were just so memorable yeah. and so much better. And it, yeah, I, I just don't remember one.
9: I think I think one has a very it, like one wears its influences on its sleeve. It's very clear that like it's pulling from a lot of these different sci-fi tropes and like classic mm-hmm. sci-fi stuff um to tell like a pretty, I, I won't say rudimentary, but like. Okay, there's one clear bad guy and we have to save the world. Two is a is a character specific driven mystery and like it's a mm-hmm. it's a totally different way of storytelling and like you know it it wants you to get invested in those characters as opposed to like buying in on the world. And so like the, the first game is great world setting and the second one is like a character exploration. So and then the third one just kind of ties everything up and has like, you know, I I've not finished it yet uh, this time around, but I'll Fun see facts. how it hits different after
8: Fun fact, I went to the Mass Effect 3, God, what do they even call them these days? Like, studio, it was like a media thing, mm-hmm. There's was like a handful of us, I was working for a PlayStation magazine in Australia at the time, and it was in uh, uh, Canada, in um, Edmonton, mm-hmm. which is where Bioware is based. It took us like 40 hours <laughs> to get there from Sydney. <laughs> I don't know. We just we, we, like we stopped off at so many different places. We stopped off in San Francisco, and then we're there for hours. And anyway, we get there and we saw like three storyboards, and then we just went no. home. No. <laughs> That's <laughs>
3: funny.
8: They showed oh us. Nothing. Oh, that sucked I mean, so much. It was a delight to be there and sort of see the studio and see you know the Edmonton cold um but yeah it was just hilarious like making that massive trek and then like learning nothing really about mass effect 3.
7: i did a trip like that once for a game that was definitely wasn't 40 hours but it was it was a trip and i watched the i watched the trailer on like a laptop in like a small cubicle and then (laughs) went back to the airport and it was one of those like this could have been an email (laughs) you
6: know yeah
7: exactly
6: those uh yeah those are some interesting trips i love the idea that it took you a full mass effect playthrough to get to the studio and then you saw what essentially is like the (laughs) dlc unlock like oh we have a bonus storyboard for you to look at too you just Mm -hmm. didn't get actually through the game
8: Um, like we had some interviews but it was just not
6: there was no No, real
8: revelation yeah no totally i am i
6: i am still in one but i i very much am excited to get to those leaps that you're talking about zach i, I can't wait to actually play through this because i'm I'm digging the like the character and the world so the fact that two become so much more of a focus on them is really really exciting yeah um lucy what have you been playing
8: well i've been playing wretched and clank which is my first wretched and clank ever and I've, you know, I sort of discovered two things about it. One is that it's got a real like 90s cartoon vibe, which mm-hmm. I really enjoy. It, it's very it sort of speaks to me on like that level of my childhood. Um, of course, it's ridiculously pretty. So I won't belabor that point. Uh, I'm really enjoying it. But also, <laughs> it's just taking me back to that like period of time when I used to play like Jack and Daxter, which was sort of late teens and then when i was in college um and you know you just have all this sort of like free time when you were like avoiding studying or whatever and i would just sit there kind of like slumped playing these platform games and they were kind of like quite childlike but like really well crafted um and you know you just would collect things (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's that it's taking me back to that time like it's 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 it is perfect for what it is trying to do, but it is very much taking me back to an era of a certain like type of game that I have not played in a long time.
4: Mm-hmm.
8: Um, so I'm sort of finding myself like really enjoying it, but it's like sort of sitting there like slack jawed, like just feeling that familiar groove <laughs> yeah. of the old school kind of like 90s platform game. And of course it's not that. It's right. like it's very sophisticated in in many, many ways. Um, but the vibe of it is still like kind of old school Mm
4: -hmm. and like i
8: i'm enjoying it i'm having a blast but um it it certainly feels like it is an old school platformer that has been upgraded you know Mm -hmm. for 2021
7: yeah i i love this game so much i'm 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 so glad we're all playing it or have played it because it's like, I I think it's just so special. It does so many just incredibly smart things that I think are kind of understated. Like, for example, it is consistently dumping all these new weapons on you that are Mm -hmm. uh, relatively light in ammo. And so you'll Mm -hmm. run out of them quickly and then be like, oh, crap. Like, I was so good with that gun but I guess I'll switch over to the mushroom thing. (laughs) And you're like, what the hell is this? And you shoot a couple of those and they run out and you're like, all right, I'll jump over to something else. And you're constantly incrementally uh, upgrading all of those things and leveling them up as you use them more. So not only are you rewarded for um, using them sort of in, you know, synchronicity and flipping around between all of them, which gets you outside of your comfort zone, gets you playing different weapons, but also you can bring them to that, you know, sassy woman who is always just like, hey, I'll upgrade your guns too. You can put your little blue rocks all in the holes and they'll be strong (laughs) and big and good. Uh, Like, I think it's like super fun the way they do that because they're, you know, 15, 10 hours into the, 12 hours into the game, they're like, you you go to the shop and she's like, I've got three more weapons for you. And you're like, how? I have 20 already. And you're like, a, a cool like a glove that shoots holograms great i'll buy it let's get it this one like shoots little green robots all over the craze this this turns a guy into a tree buy them all sure and so i think that's like really smart um i do think that it's like as a sort of like a hardcore sort of old school platforming guy the platforming is amazing i think that the level design gets a little bit it falls apart a little bit when you start to dig around in the margins a little bit it feels a little bit like when you're at disney world and everything is so bespoke and beautiful but then you look. To a corner where you shouldn't look and there's like um in the rock wall there's like an employee restroom door you know <laughs> like there's a lot of like deep pockets of this game that make you feel like you should be exploring them um and then once you get over there it's kind of like an invisible wall will pop up or so, a barrier or something like that and that's sort of antithetical to the way that i play something like super mario 3d super mario games where you're sort of invited to poke around in every single corner because there's right. probably going to be stuff hidden everywhere so that's one of the only downsides but i think that it's at the same side it's like it's it's kind of a plus that this game is so good that it has me digging around in all those corners like lucy you were tweeting about how like this game has you collecting stuff that you wouldn't probably you, you just skip in a normal game, right?
8: Oh, I'm so compelled. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
7: like I'm doing everything awesome. here. I'm getting I'm doing every science I go I go in the mm-hmm. little sh- spaceship and you see a thing you haven't done, I'm going to go do it cuz it's just so much fun.
8: Right. How can you ignore something that's like optional find the sh- missing chef? Yeah. How can you be like I'm not going to do that?
7: <laughs> and this is going to make this is going to make me sound like, you know, like a 70-year-old conservative (laughs) senator who's like boycotting (laughs) video games but like the fact that when i was a kid if there was like four characters on screen at once everything slowed down in whatever game you're playing versus now where this is the busiest video game i've ever played i switched the uh the little bolt collectible over to the soda cans from just like thousands of soda cans all over the ground everywhere and there's (laughs) lightning bolts and lasers and hundreds of enemies and it's just it's crazy busy i love it there's so much stuff going on that
9: at the mm-hmm. at, at the first couple of hours that i played it i had a hard time like keeping track of everything yeah. to be completely honest like like especially in those first few areas where there's like cars flying everywhere and characters walking on the street and then you're shooting stuff that's exploding into all these particles and there's all these particle effects elsewhere like legitimately for like the first hour or so i was just like wow it it's almost hard to navigate because there's just so much stuff happening and eventually, like, you figure out how to see through the matrix and, and understand, you know. And, like, that's the thing about this game also is, like, the accessibility modes will allow you to change all that stuff mm-hmm. to, to work better for how you perceive things. But, yeah, man, for a little bit there, I was just like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to stick with this. It's making my, my brain tired. Like, it's, it's busy. Yeah,
4: it's
8: it's definitely I mean, that's how I felt. Song. Like, it, it, this is a game that made me feel – I know I make jokes about the mm-hmm. fact that I'm old. But this game made me feel relentlessly old like yeah. i i was still really enjoying it i'm still really enjoying it but i'm just like oh the colors you know it's just like there's <laughs> just so much going on well,
7: there, was a, there was definitely a time where i was like i have a vague fundamental idea of how a video game gets made theoretically now i'm like
0: nope no, no clue, clue. <laughs> wizards
7: show up at a studio for two years in secrecy and this appears i don't mm-hmm. understand any of it it's rock solid it barely hiccups it's insane i don't
6: yeah
7: i don't get it yeah. but it's i'm so happy for it
6: and they put this out after doing miles morales Spider-Man remastered like mm-hmm. they they just keep going. It's it's wild. I am so, I just so want to see
8: the next Spider-Man. Like now we've got Ratchet done and we can see uh Insomniac flex in a way that we've never seen them flex before. I just cannot wait for the next Spider-Man. Yeah. Yeah.
7: I next. saw people like there were there were like memes going around where people were just like like the when when you when you run past a bush in this game, it doesn't even move. And I was I was like, "Are you kidding me? Like this this is what we're mad about? Are you what? Like there's everything is happening here."
8: Oh wait, that was a criticism. they were like, yes. "It doesn't even move." There was this
7: weird trend
6: <laughs> on Twitter of I can only assume people who hate PlayStation to hate PlayStation were like, right. "Oh, here's the small little graphical thing I can point out to show that this game is somehow bad."
9: and it yeah yes, I mean, it was all over again
6: you know yeah oh yeah just insanely yeah. small puddles uh mm-hmm. it's it was a, a ridiculous trend that i'm i'm very glad was not uh taken too seriously because yeah it's the the work they're doing and this is just it's stunning and i'm mm-hmm. i'm so excited yeah, we, to see what they got next
7: we didn't need puddle gate we don't need bush gate or whatever <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um
6: that's yeah uh i'm i can't wait to see where they go from here uh just sort of as we're running a little short on time brian anything else that you want to give a shout out to uh, no i'll get into it next week Uh, i
7: I fell back in love with a whole bunch of far cry games recently but i'll I'll talk about them next time
6: cool yeah we've we haven't talked too much about six so yeah we can definitely do that in the the coming weeks um but yeah it's a very exciting time as we were saying we can't wait to see what's coming out in the future but uh if you haven't played ratchet and clank and you have a ps5 go pick up Ratchet & Clank. It's a very, very great game. Uh, I think right now it's
9: probably the best reason to own a PlayStation. 100%. Absolutely. Mm -hmm.
6: Which reminds me, we need to update our top PS5 games list. Uh, We sure do. In addition to that, Look, you can look forward to it later on IGN. Uh, I do want to wrap up the show with uh, our segment, Memory Card, which we haven't done in a couple of recent weeks because they've been very, very busy. Uh, but Memory Card is, of course, our our segment where you, the viewers and listeners at home, will write in with wacky, weird, sad, happy, whatever memories of your PlayStation gaming life and we read them on the show this week. But this week, I want to throw it to Zach, as for those who may not have seen... This is Zach's last week at IGN. He is he is absconding away from us, uh, and I wanted to sort of give you the floor for for any sort of memory, PlayStation or otherwise, really, that you might want to share with the audience.
9: Yeah, I'll, I'll keep it brief. I, I think on Beyond Six Hundred, I told the story about um, uh, calling in sick multiple days in a row at uh, to school to uh, I faked sick so I could play Metal Gear Solid. Um, <laughs> so I won't tell that story again. Um, but my other maybe you know second favorite PlayStation memory is. Um, I was in. I was at the press press conference at E 3 2015 when um, they revealed uh, Last Guardian was coming back. When they revealed Final Fantasy seVen remake, when Shenmue three was was re revealed um, or was revealed to be coming out, um, and that was my first E three, my first E three in the industry. Like my first, you know, I'd watched E three several times before that, but this is the first that I was working as part of the industry, the first that I had attended, and then this was my first press conference. And I didn't know, you know, like they, we we had been pre-briefed on stuff, but a lot of the biggest stuff that, that was going to happen wasn't telegraphed to us. So I wasn't prepared as like a Final Fantasy VII fan from a bygone era. Like I wasn't prepared for seeing that trailer and also the reaction in that room. Um, and so like, I, you know, I'm there, I'm jazzed, it's PlayStation. I can't wait to see everything they have in store. And then like at the end of that press conference or in the middle, whatever it was, you know you see that feather fall in from the trailer and the music starts up and i was like you can't be serious like this is this can't be final fantasy 7 and you could feel the collective like breath from the room like everybody's like oh, like what is this going to be is this what we think it is and then when the music started and the logo popped up the the whole stadium <laughs> that this press conference was happening in erupted in screams and cheers and laughter and clapping to the extent like it was so loud that it hurt my chest like it physically hurt the sound was so loud to be in that room at that moment and it was just like wow this is fandom like this is what people talk about when they talk about they love you know playstation or xbox or nintendo like this is it right here um it also could be what they were talking about you know with final fantasy but to me that was just like a huge thing to be a part of like that press conference is it's on our list of top ten you know e three press conferences ever, and I was there when it happened and that's awesome to me like that's a, a memory that I'll have forever you know just because um this this confluence of multiple things you know my first e yeah. three and et-, et cetera but um but then my other my other f- favorite playstation memory is um just getting to do this show with y'all over the course of the last five years uh you know beyond with something that I listened to before i g n um I was you know uh, I participated a lot for a few years. I've been on sporadically here and there in the last couple of years. And um, I love talking about PlayStation and I love talking about PlayStation with, with you guys. So uh, thank you for having me on as much as you did.
7: We're going to miss you, Zach.
9: Yeah, I'll miss yeah. you guys too. You'll
8: be back. You'll come back to guest. Yeah, I'll, I'll do that. If That's going that. to happen. We'll that. make sure yeah. it happens.
6: You're yeah. welcome back whenever uh, you're in the area of the Discord call, of course.
9: Uh, right, yeah. You
7: know. uh, so uh, should I be in the proximity? on proximity? Based on what Zach said before about being at the press conference, I want to backtrack everything I said earlier about Sony not having or needing to do any of those things. I guess they should. <laughs> <Those> moments, <laughs> yeah. That's good. That's good. That's they good. were very
8: good at it. They right. were always really very good at, good at it.
6: They were yeah. really, really good at it. And, and Zach, I'm, I'm, I appreciate you sharing that with us. And and I'm happy for you that you are able to have that such a confluence of things. I totally get what you're saying, like even yeah. more so than just that reveal the extra layered personal aspects of it can just make a moment like that so impactful. That's awesome that you're able to have that. Um, And yeah, I I think with that, thank you, Zach, you know, for joining us for this week and and for joining us in the past as well. We'll miss you, but you are welcome back. Of course, Uh, for, for people who want to find you elsewhere, they can find you on Twitter at Zacharias D. Mm-hmm. uh you can That's also right. find uh, all of us on twitter i'm at jm Dornbush, brian is at agent bizzle and lucy is at luso O'Brien. uh thank you to all of you for joining me for this week uh and thank you to red and jeremy our producers helping to make the show happen and thank you to everyone out there listening and watching we hope you're safe and we hope you're well and as always beyond,
4: beyond beyond, beyond.
9: please follow us on facebook and subscribe via itunes
10: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the very first episode of the LC podcast. I'm your host, Laser Chad. With me joined my lovely co-host, Gigi Profit. Profit, how are you doing?
11: I'm, I'm pretty well. I'm not gonna lie, kinda hungry, but you know. Oh yeah, you need to get the some pizza before we start it. Yeah, I, I might, I might get it. Well, not one before we start it. I'm probably getting it after we end, mm. enjoying some nice old pizza from New York Pizza
10: a new york pizza wait you live so um before we start this is going to be the first episode so there's no gonna there's not gonna be any uh particular subjects that we're gonna talk about of course we're gonna talk about the future of the uh, this podcast so let's uh, introduce ourselves my name is laser chad i'm 16 years old you don't need to say your age mr uh, prophet because privacy and shit you know but yeah, um... I mean, I
11: can. I, I don't. It's literally in my Twitch bio. I'm not hiding it. I'm just old. <laughs> so it's definitely. super awkward. It's like you don't have to say it. It's like, bro, you make it sound like I'm like super young. It's like, no, I'm 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 twenty. I'm I'm an old piece of shit. Hey,
10: it's uh, alright. Life is is painful, but it's we okay. go through it. You know, if you think twenty is old, you you don't need to know the the age of my old fucking the person that I used to work with. Jesus. without any names names. Anyway. <laughs> um so my name is laser Chad. i am 16 years old and i create content on youtube twitch instagram twitter what else is there anything else um tv shows i don't know hopefully one day one day you know a man can dream uh yeah we're coming at you from middle east and amsterdam so uh international audience this is going to be i'm
11: not actually in amsterdam also amsterdam's not a country well it is no it's not it's 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 a city
10: okay i think this is going to be our first did you think
11: amsterdam was a
10: country um (laughs) i maybe nah oh my god wait is it not
11: no, it's the capital of the Netherlands, but the Netherlands is the country. Amsterdam is just a city.
10: Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're coming to you live from the Middle East and the Netherlands. Is this better? Yeah, we that's, saved ourselves. Yeah, that, that, that's more like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, mostly this podcast is going to be focused on game developers. We're going to be talking mostly about gaming shit, you know, because we like video games. We don't do anything else in our lives, sadly. Um, so we're gonna have guests from all around the content creation globe. So YouTubers, Twitch streamers, fuck it, we may get some TikTokers. Although they're not they're not legitimate like between stations content creators. But hey, it is what it is. You know, is it, clout is clout. You know, I think maybe. Mm. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So uh, yeah, so this podcast was supposed to be out like what? Couple months ago three months ago four months ago oh yeah this but,
11: we've been planning this for a long
10: time yeah this this was being planned for a really long while but hey at least it's finally out We're finally recording the first podcast it's just um this uh mr prophet wasn't like he wasn't um the first choice let's say it <laughs> for the podcast because there, there was supposed to be another person as you uh so if you were following us on twitter and on Instagram, but hey, he couldn't, uh, he wasn't able to apply for that, so Gigi Profit just came in, swooped in smoothly, and hey, I'm uh, I'm glad he's the main co-host, so yeah, warm welcome, so what's gonna be our first topic, I, I didn't write anything for, for the first... For the first uh, we, could,
11: we could talk about kind of like us coming back, what we're doing with our own content right now, right? Well. To kind of introduce ourselves further. Of
10: course. So um, I'm in, of course, so each one of us is, well, we're supposed to be in <laughs> organizations. So Profit and me were in this organization called Nice Academy Gaming. You might have heard of it if you're listening to this podcast right now, uh, CAG, but Mr. Prophet, sadly, um, yeah, tell us what happened with you, Prophet.
11: Well, I mean, you say sadly. It's not like I... Yeah, it's not sadly. It's sadly Uh, for me. I still very much respect (laughs) what CAG's trying to do. Yeah, of course. uh, Like a lot of the people in a bit, like in the org, don't get me wrong. Mm. Uh, It's just, I felt myself, like, okay, background, if you are unfamiliar with CAG, they mostly deal in IO games, so like browser games. Yes. And that's good and they're trying to cut their niche out in that and they're, really damn successful. I'm proud of them for that. But personally, with my own content, I started to notice that I wanted to stream more and more, which I've been doing. And then I also started noticing that streaming IO games wasn't really the move for me. Like, that's not where I wanted to lie my focus. Mm-hmm. So I decided to already slowly move away from that, which in turn meant that I already felt slightly more disconnected from uh, CAG as a whole. And then honestly, the content creators I was watching, I got really interested in this uh, content creation team called Pride. Yes. GG Pride G. G. on uh, Pride. Twitter and stuff. And I specifically there were a couple content creators I watched on there that really like I looked up to and still do. So I wanted to basically be able to uh, prove that my content could be as good as that. So I decided that I wanted to grind a grind for Pride, which I'm still at this time of recording still doing. I'm sure it's gonna take a while. It's not something that's easily done. It's definitely a goal for me. Mm. So I decided to do that, and in order to do that, I had to step down as co-founder of CAG, which I was okay with because it felt like the right move, and I still respect what they're doing. It's just it didn't feel like the direction CAG was moving was the direction I was moving in, so I decided to step away.
10: Yeah, you didn't feel, uh, you didn't feel that much love for the IO games. You want to step uh, step away to your own direction, which is mostly right now um, Pokemon, believe or not. It's, uh, it's like a very yeah, enjoyable game. Yeah, I stream... I stream a lot
11: of emulation stuff. Uh, my favorite stuff inside of the emulation is probably uh, Pokemon. Not gonna lie, mm. uh, I, I I would say I'm definitely a variety streamer though, because my last couple streams, have, for instance, been on like Battlefield games because it's just really been feeling them. But yeah, I definitely try to incorporate emulation in there quite a bit because it's something that's like close to me and that I really like doing. So
10: speaking of Battlefield, did you see the new game that they're gonna release this Christmas?
11: I did, and I'm pretty not gonna lie, pretty hyped for it. It looked pretty damn good i mean like what's it called like
10: battlefield 2043? 2042 right? 2042 yeah 43 yeah. i think it has like it has more than one dimension not not dimension um so like what, more than one timeline so in the game i think you can play like in oh. the future and in the past
11: that'd be pretty cool i feel like the only thing i really saw that stood out to me from it like it's, it looks like a great game don't get me wrong yeah it is. I think they called in like a vehicle, and the HUD, like the uh, interface, looked really, really cool. So it definitely called, like, definitely got my attention.
10: I would be very, very impressed if the same exact graphics that we saw from the gameplay, um, from the gameplay announcement trailer is like the exact same when you play, at least, at least on the newer consoles and on PC. So that's of course exception, like the PS4, Xbox One, because they're like all believe it or not they're old gen now. But yeah, um if it just looked the exact same as the uh, trailer, that would be very impressive. That's mm-hmm. a way high jump. Way higher jump for like gamings in the future. Especially well, first person,
11: And but like Battlefield's always been incredibly good
10: when it and comes yeah, the to Yeah, they have the best yeah, engines. They have the Yeah, cuz
11: their engines are insane, especially for like destruction and stuff. And honestly, it doesn't look that much better than like something like battlefield 1 right which doesn't go to show oh no 2042 doesn't look good no it looks incredible looks, i'm just saying that this has been having incredible graphics for
10: years now i remember when the first bump up graphics was back in the xbox 360 and it was like mm-hmm. it was a huge deal when they uploaded when they made uh, battlefield 3 so they were comparing battlefield 3 with call of duty ghosts if i'm not wrong So, like, both of these games were, like, the next-gen game for, like, the PS4 and the Xbox One back in 2013. So they were comparing Battlefield
11: 3 came out way, way before Ghost, didn't it? Wait, I'm going to quickly fact-check this. Yeah. Uh, Uh, That's a weird comparison. I will say, I think BF3 looked the same, if not better, than Ghost. But I want to say that Call of Duty Ghost came out, like, at least a couple years later because Battlefield 3 is pretty old.
10: Is it 2012, 2011,
11: 2012? So, yeah, uh, BF3 was 2011. Ghost came out in 2013. So that's
10: two yeah. years. So they were comparing both games, and a lot of people had the point where, yeah, uh, Battlefield had the better graphics, even though it was like two years before. Mm.
11: Yeah, I'd say that's pretty fair to say, though. I mean,
10: uh, to be honest, like, color, like uh, Call of Duty or Activision, renewed like had finally a new um engine since only warzone since call of duty modern warfare 2019 that was the only before that since like call of duty black ops 1 or even like yeah call of duty modern warfare 1 the original 2007 until two thousand eighteen yeah. they were running on the same engine, just better assets and better yeah, graphics. Yeah,
11: that's that's insane. I mean the thing with COD though is it's I feel like COD's never been about graphics. Uh, now it's starting to slowly get there. Yeah. But before that it was definitely way more about uh gameplay and just the fast gameplay and it always had that going forward, whereas like Battlefield was much more of an acquired taste.
10: Yeah, Battlefield was a slow paced at least you can say that. Like more tactical. If you can yeah, say exactly. That. Yeah. For sure,
11: for sure. I mean, it's moving away from that. I feel like with every entry, entry is getting more and more towards the arcade shooter uh, in a similar vein to uh, Call of Duty, which I honestly think is like not the worst move because hmm. I feel like that is what like attracts audiences and it makes it more suited for a general audience. And you can
10: always add a competitive mode to the game.
11: Yeah, you could for sure.
10: Well, I feel like classics like Counter Strike. I guess Valorant is now considered a fucking classic because a lot of people are moving from Counter Strike to Valorant, from Overwatch to Valorant because a lot of people say it's just like uh, Overwatch one uh, Valorant right now due to all the I guess and it's the definitely characters.
11: more leaning towards CS because Overwatch is, at least in my opinion, a pretty arcadey shooter yeah. when you like
10: really dissected. Overwatch reminds uh, whereas... me of Quake so much.
11: I, yeah, I guess. I mean, I they bo- both can be arena shooters. I just think Overwatch is slightly different, though. But yeah, definitely, for sure. But, like, there are a lot more of that arcadey feeling, where something like Valorant's definitely more leaning towards CS with tactical shooter. Yeah. Having said that, it's a different kind of tactical shooter than, once again, bringing it back to, like, the Battlefield thing, than a Battlefield, because Battlefield's more, like, bigger maps tactical shooter in that way, whereas, like... um something like valorant and cs is definitely still on smaller maps so even though rounds can take a while and they're pretty strategic it almost feels faster because you're not just running all over the place and like having to deal with people who are hundreds of meters away it's very like up and close
10: oh dude i remember when people um start comparing overwatch with two fortress 2 back in 2016. they were like hey yeah but that's both these games have characters both these games have like multiple modes both these games have like characters with like, um, how can I say this? uh Unique characters. Wait, like, unique abilities? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, it's, each one honestly, had their background story. Honestly, it's a fair...
11: I think it's a fair comparison. Yeah.
10: Although, Team Fortress 2 is what? 2007? 2008? Fucking yes, old game. Yes, it's
11: more as in... I feel what they argued was not being like, Overwatch is so much better than, like, Team Fortress. Yeah, yeah, 2. they were comparing
10: more. the similarities. Yeah, because
11: uh i think it's true i think that team fortress 2 is essentially the granddaddy of all hero shooters so that includes overwatch that includes paladins that includes i saw a tweet uh, the other Battleborn, which i think like failed horribly but like um, technically it includes that
10: yeah i even saw a tweet um two days ago they were they were like showing the top 10 games play right now on steam team fortress 2 being one of the oldest games on steam like by Valve themselves, uh, it's still like top three games. Like set 500, 600,000 active players. Do you know how insane that is? <laughs> to keep a fan base that long. And it's like, yeah. no updates. Like, uh, I remember like, logging into the game a couple of times. As speaking, like, not just like in Team Force in general, not like Team Force 2, like any game in general. No updates, nothing. <laughs> it has enough content it has content that can be split up into like three to four games like unique four games triple a titles yeah so it's very mm-hmm. impressive uh, compared to, to its time back in 2007
11: oh for sure mm. i mean it's still uh it's still played today a lot right yeah it's still one of the most popular games i believe yeah it's top just, like, three to top three about. most
10: played games on steam right now with like six hundred thousand players yeah,
11: it's it's insane. I mean, similar thing I'd say is something like Dota, right? Yeah, Dota's obviously not a like shooter, that. but it's also like free to play. It's been around for like years and years, and it's so popular.
10: I think um, I predict in the future, might not really happen, but like as we saw, Warzone, Call of Duty Warzone, and um, Call of Duty Mobile, and we also saw Halo Infinite being getting free. Did you know that? Halo Infinite is going to be free. Yeah,
11: I know I know I'm pretty hyped for that. Uh unfortunately, the release is what like next year. Uh
10: I think it's on holiday. Early
11: next year, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um
10: That's holiday, free. No, not the holiday the uh, yeah, January, I think January 2021. That is going to be the mm. release date. Yeah. But yeah, speaking of uh, free to play, I think I think Call of Duty and Battlefield are also going to take like that direction more and more because as you can see, the top 10 most played games on uh, on Steam right now, seven of them are free to play, and the other I games are. I don't
11: know if they will. I agree that it'd be kind of a smart move. I don't know about Battlefield because the next Battlefield's actually the complete opposite because you're getting no campaign, you're just getting multiplayer, and you're paying about seventy bucks for it. So they're going the opposite direction. Wait. Call? I also don't know. Yeah, because it's not free to play, and like you're getting no campaign; it's just multiplayer. From what I've heard. Mm-hmm. And then the i think the people who reported on that were like inside gaming or something who i'm sure got it from a source like Kotaku or something like that i didn't look too much into it i just saw the headline the other thing Wait, is i i don't know if call of duty would do it because of the fact that cod doesn't lower their game prices like even today if you want to buy black ops 2 a game from what two thousand yeah, years ago i think right yeah, they don't lower the prices. Sorry, I'm just quickly looking up BO2 when it did actually release. Yeah, a game from <laughs> November 12, 2012, nine yeah. years old. You'd still have to pay about 60 bucks to pick up that game.
0: On the Steam. makers
11: behind Call of Duty, they just do not lower their prices. Like They do not fall, and that's insane. So I, while I think it may be smart for them to have a free-to-play option, kind of similar to what they have on their phone, phones, right, with that app, Mm. with uh Call of Duty Mobile. Yeah. I don't necessarily see it happening for their major releases because I think that they know people will buy it regardless. So they're making too much money for them to make that step because like it's not needed.
10: Yeah, well um because games like Warzone live way longer than any like yearly franchise. Because Warzone is like free to play mm-hmm. and it's a battle royale. So it just stays there. It won't die.
11: Yeah but that's it's it's also a difference because uh, the thing with BRs is, Barangana, and there's yeah. where kind of market comes in, right, is mm-hmm. that most BRs are free to play. And so we see that they have to adjust to the market format. Because <laughs> if anything, except if most B, like BRs nowadays are free to play due to like Fortnite and stuff. Because PUBG isn't. PUBG is big, yeah. but PUBG got in extremely early. So it makes sense, right? And I think that's also slowly dying off outside of player bases. And I think like Asia, I think it's like incredibly big there. Yeah, but outside of that, I think PUBG is losing player base, right? I have no facts to prove this. It's just I, I think so because no, no, it's well, no it's well known.
10: It's well known. A lot of a lot of North American players are just like stopped playing this game, and like a lot of people still haven't ever played it. Just watched people playing it on Twitch and YouTube. But yeah, I yeah, feel like and my, anything... and my thing
11: is like it 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 did get in. It was a pay to play game, but also or buy to play game. But it was also like it got in early, so that makes sense. Then after Fortnite blew up, most BRs we've seen have been free to play. i Think Realm Royale, which drilled itself into the ground, but like it did well for a while. That was free to play. Fortnite, obviously free to play. <laughs> yeah. uh Warzone, free to play, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Warzone should be free. Apex Legends. Uh, Apex free to play, massive. H1-Z1? So we see that they're all free. So in th- in that regards, we see that they're kind of forced to make their games free. 'Cause if you then push out a pay to play game, it's there one was announced recently that was gonna melee type stuff, a ninja typey, that's apparently buy to play. I'm mm. skeptical if it's gonna do well because I just don't think the player base behind BRs are willing to pay for it if all their of all, all their competitors are free. Right? So like yeah. they, they have to make them free. Meanwhile, if we look over to more traditional shooter games, well yes, there are free options. There are plenty of ones which are just still like buy to play like yes. Um like COD, like mm. battlefield, like I don't know, Crisis, stuff like that, right?
10: Yeah, of course.
11: There's there's plenty of games which are still by to play. Yeah. So in the end, I don't think they're forced to make the same adjustments. So if they suddenly make their entire game like free, it's it's definitely different. Additionally, like yeah, Halo is going free, which I think has more to do with like kind of Microsoft and how they're trying to push like Game Pass and shit on PC and cross compatibility. They want as many people on as possible to get the hype. But then their story, for instance, is not free. So it's just multiplayer. And I think that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I think that might change the landscape. But I don't know how many companies will actually follow suit or feel pressured to. As long as there are still other alternatives that are selling well enough.
10: Yeah. Well, um, speaking of free-to-play, I noticed that a lot of games are going free-to-play. And depending on subscriptions. So a lot of most games that are being released right now come with the Battle Pass. Instead of DLCs, Mm -hmm. instead of um, paid DLCs. So, yeah, uh, Call of Duty Activision took this direction since 2019. So, all the DLC, all the special maps, all the special guns are free. But everything else, like skins, um, emotes and everything, they're all in a battle pass. And so, you need to earn them. Not just, like, straight up DLC. Remember the chaos from Call of Duty, Black Ops 3 and Infinite Warfare? Where you had to, like, pay what? 30 40 um uh boxes mystery boxes so you can get that one gun and the chances were like super low
11: yeah when this was like in the heyday of like loot boxes and how like ape ape uh, crappy they went yeah i remember that a lot of other play it at the time myself but i definitely heard a lot of complaints about it similar with like battlefront 2 that was apparently like super pay-to-play yeah, I do think this things. change like is one of the another indicator that we're moving towards gaming as a service instead of like you buy you keep. It's more like gaming as a service, so like yeah. battle passes as well. They're like, hey, it's a free to play game, but you buy the battle pass for additional challenges, and that way you're like lured into spending potentially more money than they would make off you if you just bought the game. Yeah, be so like they give you a free game, and then they push out like once a year a battle pass. It's like I don't know, like thirty, forty bucks, sometimes <laughs> even sixty. Right. Jeez. And then you essentially pay the full price of the game.
10: And even pay more. So they make a lot more money off you. Yeah. yeah. And especially because when you buy the Battle Pass, you are giving the choice to finish the Battle Pass early. So what? Thousands of people pay that. Thousands of people spend that money. And it's like, yeah. at least I think of it as, oh shit. <laughs> I, at least I think of it as they're giving you a choice. So they'd be like, yeah, here's the raw game. Here's free to play. If you want to spend, do that. If you don't want to, hey, it's all good. But uh, yeah, it's because kind every... of, it's
11: definitely pushing you towards towards spending the money. But I get what you're saying, and I don't I disagree. And it's nice because they do make it like free to play as well yeah. in the big. But they put all, all they regards, push all right? the
10: cool stuff, all the good stuff of the game, all the good content in the battle pass. So you'd be like, well, it, it's it's decent. The raw the raw game right. is decent, but like everything better is right yeah. over there behind the paywall. So.
11: Yeah, that that, that describes my feelings about it very accurately. Because it's basically just like, well, the whole thing's like good and decent and you get a game. But but if you you really want to experience (laughs) all the benefits and all the nice things, you have to pay, right? Yeah. But that leaves me curious. How do you feel about kind of the gaming market moving towards more um, gaming as a service instead of just like what we used to have back in the day, right? Where it's like you buy a game, you keep it, that's it.
10: Well, uh, of course, it's more modern people finding more ways to uh, keep a straight um, income. So they don't want like a single income, single wave of income mm-hmm. as the girls. Good, good old days, you just buy the game, like millions of dollars come in and then they go. So they're trying to keep like the money stream coming in so they can release more games, release more uh, employee, more people. Well, but um, yeah, I'm of course, like uh, losing a lot of benefits. So yeah, you get the game, but it's like, fully completed uh no issues a lot of uh, a lot of these decisions right now that's, they released like
11: that's my half. problem I kind of don't think that's actually what happens because with gaming as a service you don't get a game that's completed a yeah lot of, times we of see course developers pushing out products that haven't the biggest been really example yeah right? biggest
10: example that they should be or could be the biggest example so additionally is, uh... see
11: like a lot of times because you say are they pushing out new games I don't think that's true I think with gaming as a service because it kind of depends on that longevity of games we actually see less and less releases because people just tend to be like, oh, we have like three years of this game because there's three seasons and then they might push out the sequel oh, yeah, to the same game just with new fancy good idea, layer yeah. of paint. And I think it kind of moves away from like creativity and diversity in the gaming scene because this mostly applies to multiplayer games, not so much to single player.
10: Yeah, it's uh, because everything is right now like fully online, fully support online. Mm. But yeah, the biggest example is uh, Cyberpunk 77 that was a mess that was yeah. that was a huge yeah, mess Yeah,
11: I, I don't think that was gaming as a service but yeah like, holy crap, that's that that the main issue pressured. that was not good
10: that, that like that's the whole the, that's the main issue it wasn't even like uh, one of the uh, cliche games that are right now like yeah here's the few game here's the game and then we're gonna update it later and then we're gonna put seasons no it was they had seven years it was just like, just like the good old days. You buy the game, you keep it. It's a story game, not even multiplayer in the game. Mm-hmm. And it was a mess. So, hey, um, at the end of the day, I think it depends on who is behind uh, the team of developing, sure. who's, who's behind the game, who's the person developing. Because uh, both ways you can make a good game, like as a service or as a one-time pay-to-play but, yeah. And
11: this also doesn't apply to the entire gaming market, right? Because a noticeable exception that I can think that was in the last couple of years, two games, which were phenomenal. Mm. Even though they were console exclusives, were uh, Spider-Man, PS4, and God of yes. War. Yes,
10: yes. Those those, <laughs> those were amazing. I played God of War, and trust me, if you want a good game to play, there you go. Also, also Red Dead Redemption 2. I'm
11: too. Jealous. I don't... Uh, yes, Red Dead, Red Dead. Absolutely, Red Dead. Red Dead I'm actually playing too. it right absolutely. now. I'm
10: actually playing the story right now. It's amazing. Yeah, and it's like it's from the same years. It came out with uh, Fortnite the same year. So uh, yeah.
11: And I I've not I've not played it yet, but that's definitely on my list. In regards to God in War and like Spider Man, man, I don't own a PS4, and I feel really missed out on those <laughs> titles because they are phenomenal. Uh, I've just not been able to play it because they're console exclusives.
10: Yeah, I, I won my PS4 from fucking Mountain Dew. I didn't even buy mine. So that was that was amazing. But hey, we'll talk Did you more. You say about. you won it? Yeah. So they had a giveaway on Twitter. Not Twitter, sorry. Instagram. You know the the fake giveaways yeah. where tag your friend and like the post and then you'll win. So I was like, you know what? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fuck yeah, I'm just going to I'm just going to add my name, just going to tag one of my friends and hey, it's all again. 2 weeks later, I get a phone call. Yo, you wanna you want a PS4 from Martin Dew. Congratulations. Oh my god. And dude, I was that's like fucking nice. I was like, like, holy shit. And I didn't even need the PS4, but it was like it was a nice touch because a lot of my friends play on PS five right now. So you can mm-hmm. there's um you can play with PS four, PS five right now in the same party, which is a nice touch. Oh you can? Yeah. So you don't need to it's own a PS five. So that was pretty nice. And you can play the same that games.
11: At the moment PS five is one of the I feel like this is happens with a lot of consoles by the way. They're hmm. most they're one of the most wanted, but also one of the most useless things to have, right? Yeah, now. because like you PS get PS five, right? Exact what same. You're gonna play on it.
10: Yeah, this is it's like there's no PS five <laughs> exclusives. Like
11: there's no games. There's no games. Anything
10: that you can play on the PS five, you can play exactly the same on PS4, but this one has sixty on FPS. On PS4 and uh, the other one has one twenty like,
11: <laughs> There there's been like one or two games I think that have been like releasing on PS five and that's it, right? Yeah like, oh, that's incredible. And then a bunch of announcements. And then the crazy thing is, no one can get their hands on a PS5 anymore because yeah. they're sold out everywhere.
10: Because they made fucking 50 copies. <laughs> they didn't make and it. it
11: reminds me so much of like Switch when it launched, right? Yeah. Except with the Switch, I guess because they know very good games are coming to it, which is similar with the Switch. Because I was going to say, this the Switch knew it was Nintendo. Yeah, so Nintendo. there's going to be banger games on there, but it's still impossible to find. Like you're overpaying so much. Yeah,
10: Nintendo Switches are uh, pretty expensive. Bye. oh yeah <laughs> yeah they are um yeah this is going to be our conclusion to the first episode yeah so this is going to be a shorter episode than the other because it's the first one we're just getting started and as you can see we can diverse to other conversations to other topics but I'm glad you joined us if you uh, listen to us fully follow us on Twitter follow us on Instagram and I'll leave Profits' socials and my own in the description. If you're watching this on YouTube, if you're watching this on Spotify or Apple Music, then um, good for you. (laughs) Thanks for listening to us. And we'll see you guys in the next episode. See ya.
0: Hit us up on Facebook and Twitter.